Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Daddy, with instant analysis of the 2020 edition of WWE SummerSlam, along with slightly less instant analysis of NXT TakeOver 30. It was quite a weekend in the world of WWE, and you know the Silver King is here to break it all down for you, but I'm not doing it alone. Joining me on this late Sunday night journey, taped just minutes after SummerSlam went off the air, is none other than our traditional WWE co-host, Chris Benini. Chris, what a freaking weekend, what a freaking show on Sunday night. I am exhausted, and I am still uh, without a nickname, something we talked about in the last show we're going to figure out. So right off the top here, Silver King wants me to have a nickname, and I apparently can't pick it for myself. No, that's so, not how nicknames work. That's that, I mean, so traditionally. We're going to leave this up to the listeners to start. Tweet at us, tweet at me what you think. Chris I, uh, on Twitter. We'll figure I'm- this out. Something I'm see. I think it has to come natural. I think it's just something I need to call you in the intro. But what is coming to my head right now? I don't know why. Is vintage Chris Vanini. I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna stick. I don't mm. know if I like it. But vintage mm. Chris Vanini. Not. I don't hate it. I don't hate shabby. it. Not too shabby. Maybe we will roll with that. But this is a big episode. We have a lot to get to, including, by the way, for all of you who so generously donated to this show to help pay for the fees for some of our. Uh, you know, episodes, just the hosting for the show to actually exist. For those of you who decided to upgrade the Silver King's audio setup, you should now know those pieces are in place. This is the first episode that is being taped with the full audio capabilities, or so I think. We will see. We'll see how this comes out. Maybe there'll be a couple more pieces I buy, but getting over is operating nearly at 100% capacity as we're here. And to take us past that 100%, you know what time it is. When we do these instant analyses, it's time to crack open a beer. It is tradition. And this is a Sweetwater 420, a classic, uh, widely available craft beer. But it is most likely one of two the Silver King will be drinking because this is indeed a double instant analysis show. And if we're being completely honest, I'm already like three or four deep tonight. So this is going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on this edition of Getting Over. Chris, I'm rocking Sweetwater 420 to start. What do you have? I've got the Abita Purple Haze that I had last time we did this. Uh, I, I, I know I'm supposed to change it up more. The time just kind of caught up with me, but I, I, I still enjoy this one. It's a good, it's, it's a good solid everyday, uh, maybe not everyday, uh, 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 use it quite often beer. The, uh, the concern isn't so much, I think, that it's not a different beer. It's more that whatever six pack you bought from a month ago is still, there's still beers left over. That's I think the bigger issue, but yes, we, that's fair, <laughs> but we will get to that another time. Uh, before we get into the show real quick, you know how it works. You can follow the silver King on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. You can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. more important than both. Follow the show on Twitter at getting overcast. And Hey, anytime while you're listening to the show, open that Apple podcast app up, go to the review section, leave us, a five-star rating along with a review. Tell us how much you love the show, how much you appreciate us dropping everything and doing these instant analysis episodes as soon as pay-per-views go off the air. Now, before we get into SummerSlam itself, before we later get to NXT TakeOver 30, a big thing happened this week in WWE, and that was the introduction of the WWE 
Thunderdome. Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. And I feel like before we talk about SummerSlam, we actually need to discuss the Thunderdome somewhat briefly because it truly, I almost dropped my phone there, it truly added to the overall WWE experience of these last couple of days. It wasn't in place uh, for NXT TakeOver 30, but it it was for SmackDown on Friday night when it made its debut, and then SummerSlam where it made its pay-per-view debut on Sunday. Here's my overall thought, Chris. 100% better. It definitely adds to the production. The show feels more important, not just because of the Thunderdome itself, which is very well designed, by the way, but the pyro, the lasers, the depth of the picture. In terms of the fans, I love the idea of them being in rows. Again, it deals with the depth issue, right? Where even in the NBA, it's kind of a flat screen. But I do think WWE needs to take a lesson from the NBA and give everyone an identical Zoom type chair background using just their faces, necks, and upper bodies on the screen. Because having that many different colors most of them different shades of white and yellow because I guess most people have tan walls or white walls. It was just too stark. It hurts your eyes too much and it it takes you away from the action. They need to make the fans part of it, but not overwhelming. And I think that will be the biggest lesson that they can take from what we've seen. The other thing I would do, I would still have select performance center talent and other wrestlers in the front row making noise and being actual fans. I don't see a good reason not to start those screens one row up and just have legitimate people on the bottom. In terms of the ambient audio, and this is where I'll pause and let you get in here, but in terms of the ambient audio, I think it's fine because when you're seeing faces and when you're seeing action in the background, then you're thinking, oh yeah, there's the, the audio makes sense. It makes sense for there to be murmurs and light cheers and light boos, et cetera. And the good thing that they're doing with Thunderdome is they're not overdoing the cheering or the booing or doing fake chants. They're letting it feel as natural as it possibly can be while still trying to tell you, this is the face, it's good that they won, this is the heel, it's bad that they won. And because of that, you know, I think I said this on Twitter, this to me was a solo home run to write. They have an opportunity to make Thunderdome a grand slam. And as long as they're willing to make a couple of those aforementioned changes, I think it can get there. Yeah, I think the biggest part for me is the depth of the vision, like you said, and the audio. The audio is a lot better. It doesn't feel like they're in an empty warehouse type thing anymore, and it, it adds a lot. The, the Whatever crowd noise is being piped in is enough that it's good. Uh, those are all good things. It looks great from far away. You know, when they show you the whole shot, it wraps around uh, almost half of the whole. If you, include the, if you include the stage, it wraps around like two-thirds of the of the thing obviously it doesn't look like it's on the hard cam side uh so that's all good i agree with you on the chairs give everybody the same looking chairs i like that physically the the rows are separated so it it makes it look deep uh as well but i gotta disagree with you on the lights man it is they already typically go overboard with lights I, i like the pyro but in terms of lasers and flashing lights they already go over the top when you know, the raw screen is literally literally just one giant <laughs> LED board. Right. And right. now you're now you're adding millions of new lasers and flashing lights. And I get they don't want to show empty space and that's fine. But man, it is 
my, I don't know, my, my TV just can't handle that much flashing color. And it just, it, it, it honestly takes away from it a little bit because it's not all completely sharp and it's just, it's a lot. So I agree hundred percent better than what it was. They could, they can make some tweaks here and there. I will say when they debuted it right off the bat on SmackDown with the retribution attack on Braun, man, they were going crazy with the camera cuts. Yeah, I know. And, and they, they didn't do that for SummerSlam. So they may have maybe, you know, it's the first time trying it out. Maybe they're not going to do it anymore, but that one of my first reaction was, holy crap, we're going (laughs) camera cuts, camera cuts, camera cuts. Let's just kind of see what's happening here. And, uh, I, I definitely think it went, it worked out a lot better on, on, uh, on SmackDown. So I, I think it's looks good. I think they should keep doing it moving forward, obviously. And honestly, I was disappointed they didn't use it for NXT, but we can talk about that, uh, later. Yeah, I was too. You know, briefly though, I'll say regular week to week NXT doesn't need to be there. That's not no, what no. that, that's not what that product is, but they definitely could have put takeover in there and just done a toned down version. Like, sure. even if they just used the Thunderdome, but they did not do pyro and did not do lasers, it still would have been a better atmosphere. So, yeah, you know, it should have been used for TakeOver. TakeOver was still good as it was, but it is a good point. Uh, in terms of the lights, I know you're saying I agree with you to, in some respect. I can see that being a legitimate opinion. I guess where I look at it is this. WWE was going from almost like dark into light. Like they're trying to be the polar opposite of what the production was in the to, performance. To an extent, center. they still they still use a lot of they use a lot of lasers in the performance. They had center. to. I, I mean, they had nothing to. else. Right, like, right. But like, it, so, it, 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 yeah, no. So maybe maybe they got a little bit over reliant on them. I, I can see that. But I guess my point is they're really just they're trying. Listen, the Thunderdome comes down to this. WWE's trying, and sometimes yeah. you get credit just for trying. This they get credit for the execution. And mm-hmm. for the trying. And my hope is just, look, refine it. Like, things things that debut this show, ep- you know, episode one of this show, I mean, certainly considering, uh, you know, the coho situation and how that didn't work out. But uh, early episodes of you and I, you know, talking together aren't as good as they are now. Hopefully everyone likes them now. But, you know, you refine things. You make them better. And I think that is what we'll see from Thunderdome. I think they're really going to figure it out. But already, it's been a great part of production and it has drastically improved the show. SummerSlam was a great show, but it was enhanced by the quality of the production, by the arena and and the ability for us to utilize more space and not feel that we're trapped in a confined area as viewers. And because of that, I thought it was ultimately very successful. Now, you you did tease that opening segment, and I do want to talk about that segment before we get into the SummerSlam incident. One last thing. One last thing I'd say generally about the Thunderdome. My my nitpicks here, honestly, being back in an arena. I think more than anything, I think being back in an arena reminded me of the problems I have with their production already. That's it's really separate from the Thunderdome. The amount of lasers, the camera cuts, those are problems that are that far predate this. And being back in an arena for the first time brought them back to mind for me. So it's not it's not a Thunderdome specific criticism because overall, like I said, it's great. I agree. That's fair. And the camera cuts, look, you know, people like to say that WWE does too many camera cuts. And in totality, that's true. But really, it is certain situations where they go so overboard that it puts that in your mind. If they didn't go like there are certain times where you'll watch a women's match and they will do 30 camera cuts in 35 seconds. And I am not exaggerating. I've literally counted that before. 
when that happens, the times when they then do 12 in 24 seconds, which by the way is still a lot, the times when they're doing 12 cuts in 30 seconds, and by the way, that's still a lot, but that other scenario exacerbates them. So yes, I think retribution, and that's what we'll talk about right now, that for the debut of Thunderdome, you're like, oh my God, they're right back to the camera cuts. And not that they ever really stopped, but you're like, oh my God, this is this is crazy. But then they really didn't do it to that extreme for the rest of the show, nor for SummerSlam. So that was all very positive. But coming out of the pyro display and the introduction, and we're going to talk about this because it does go into the main event of SummerSlam. So we'll kind of cross the barrier here. We got quite the tease, Chris, with The Fiend and Vince McMahon. First of all, The Fiend's entrance in the Thunderdome is incredible. It's eye-catching and captivating. I do wish they went a tad further with Vince trying to speak maybe to The Fiend, The Fiend quieting him or something like that. But look, I get it. Vince is 75. What exactly are you going to do with him at this point? The Braun Strowman entrance in this uh, in on SmackDown on Friday night felt like a downgrade. But then when I saw it at SummerSlam, I thought it was a massive improvement um, mm-hmm. on what they did Friday night. So I was like, OK, so they're they're nailing the fiend. They're nailing Braun Strowman. And that just ended up being the case for most of the entrances across the board. They were really good. The Braun Strowman fiend showdown we then had with Retribution was really smart because it raised questions on affiliation. Right. And I loved the interaction. Basically, both of them agreed to fight. You saw like the wink between the two, only for the Fiend to like dip right out of there, peace out, uh, and then have them all beat down Strowman. So that made a lot of sense from a character standpoint. Then you have Retribution in there in such significant numbers. And I found that interesting because at some point they're going to have to reveal the group. And it clearly won't be that many people. That's like full-size NWO when it was way too overloaded, <laughs> right? Right, what we got on Friday night. But they did get over strong on Strowman in the moment, and it required the entire locker room, faces first, then heels, to clear them out. So I thought that was another example of what we've talked about on the show before. Retribution is booked really strong on SmackDown and significantly wimpier or weaker or less intimidating on Raw. And then at the very end, and I'll let you get in here, Miz, you saw him running out on his own at the end of the entire thing. (laughs) I laughed my ass off about that. Like some some were saying that they think that means he's involved in the leader. I don't. Okay, I don't expect that. But everyone like like looking at him, like when he popped in the ring, like where the hell were you? And then everyone else staying around ringside almost as uh, bodyguards and security for the next match. I thought that really sold the threat of what retribution is. I still think... Them all dressing in black with ski masks is dorky. On SummerSlam, we did not see them at all, which if you're bent on retribution, wouldn't you show up somehow at the second biggest show of the year? You would think so. But on Friday night, I thought the introduction of the Thunderdome and what they did with retribution in that opening segment, it felt like there was a ton of stuff going on and it was a great way to captivate the audience and get them to stay tuned in. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said last weekend that they they are putting the effort behind retribution to make them feel like a big deal. And I appreciate that the execution hasn't always been there, but they're telling us over and over that these guys are a big deal and you should take them seriously. So we do. And, and it, it just, it's exactly what we got again. Uh, first, first time really, I think they were kind of chased away and, and then 
everybody stays around the ring to explain the next part. So, um, yeah, I was surprised it didn't show up at SummerSlam and, and, um, and kind of off we go into that. Now, let's move into our WWE SummerSlam instant analysis. And we always start by talking about pre-show grades. And believe it or not, expectations were really high for SummerSlam. Coming out of the Getting Over poll, I, I post it every single pay-per-view on the Getting Over Twitter account. We had, let me do this quick math here, 84% of people who responded thought that this show would be an A or a B. B was 55.4%. That is a significantly positive level of expectation entering a show. And I don't know that we've seen that for a WWE pay-per-view in the, in the few months that we've done the polls, but even you and I talking, previewing the shows, I don't know that we ever expect a show to be an A. And this was really expecting, if you average it out, a B plus almost. And well, that's it, pretty damn- it's summer. It's SummerSlam. People yeah, have but, high expectations but, for SummerSlam. And it was a well put together card. But, you know, this isn't money in the bank. This isn't extreme rules. It's SummerSlam. It's it's usually the Marks WrestleMania. That's fair. But I think people are not generally positive about WWE. No, but again, I, I do think they I do think they set this up well. Um, but, you know, it was Thunderdome. For, for first pay-per-view, you know, I, I put together well in SummerSlam. I, I, I had high, exp- I had, I would have, I would have probably, if I didn't, I don't think I answered the poll, but I would have probably predicted a B plus, A minus type of show coming in. Very interesting. All right. Well, we will find out what fans thought about it after the show is over at the end of our SummerSlam instant analysis, but let's hop right into it. Main event of SummerSlam was the Universal Championship Braun Strowman defending the title against the Fiend Bray Wyatt in a false Count Anywhere match. And we cannot talk about what happened Sunday without talking about what happened Friday because we had a Firefly Funhouse and then we had Braun Strowman basically invade the Firefly Funhouse. And while that's not the first time we've seen that happen, it is the first time that that basically was taken from, uh, you know, I don't even know how to explain it from from, from surreality to reality, like like from yeah. fantasy to reality, basically. And I had an issue personally, Chris, with them breaking the surrealism of the funhouse to have them suddenly brawl backstage and then have Wyatt carted off on a gurney with no one scared to go near a guy who they know can morph into like a demon clown. So they're treating him like he's a normal wrestler, right? That he doesn't have these crazy powers. And I know that Strowman threw him basically off a loading dock or through a tunnel or whatever the hell that was. But you have to, you know, suspend that disbelief. And I understand that. And I do that with the, the, the Firefly Funhouse and a lot of things. But asking me to do that where they can take someone out of the Funhouse and physically bring them into reality, that was maybe a step too far for me. That said, I thought the finish with the ambulance uh, you know, the fiend opening those doors, smoke popping out, the whole thing glowing red. That was great because it showed once again, the fiend is truly unstoppable. They probably could have cleaned it up and accomplished that entire process without the funhouse situation happening somehow. But ultimately, I thought it was a success and it was a really interesting and captivating go home moment ahead of SummerSlam. Y- yeah, I, I well... I thought it could have been better. You don't need to do the... I don't understand why you basically say apparently the fun house is in the Amway Center. 
that's just where is that where John Cena went to when he when Bray Wyatt kind of went into his mind like we, is that we, where Seth had, Rollins, is that where Seth Rollins went when he yeah you know a, a, yeah apparently it was in the Amway Center the whole time or is he moving it when they're from town to town like you just you didn't need to do it it was just like I don't know you just it was a bit lazy you could have gotten to a brawl by doing something else really and then the ambulance thing you know he pushes him off the loading dock you could obviously you know he threw him onto a pad but he like pushed him off and you know it's not like 50 feet it's it, it was just, it kind of felt a little corny and then if you're going to do the ambulance thing i think they did it live but you really didn't need to you could right. have just you could have just not done it live and had him pop up as the fiend way quicker instead of like 10 to 20 seconds of just camera focused on the, the all the people that are watching them and then when they turn around and see the fiend already standing there i didn't like that i would have i would have had him burst through like or, or, or like sh make some noise even if the camera's not on there make some noise to to express something another thing the ambulance backing up forever took a while again the segment just it dragged and then he's just standing there weird you could have honestly i would have had some like just some sounds playing over like some boas or something like that just to like really lean like we gotta we gotta lean into kind of the corniness of this and i i think doing it live it kind of dragged out and it was just awkward the whole way around i got what they were going for i just i, I just really didn't like the execution i and i really think it would not have been hard to make it uh, much better from what they had yeah that, that's fair i think we're basically saying the same thing just we had different things that we didn't really like about it for me the execution wasn't necessarily bad at the end. And yes, I can see, you know, hey, look, instead of having him do a quick change, why don't you just tape this? Let him change it. Yeah. Have him pop back and do it. And yeah, why not play the sounds that you hear when he enters the arena? You know, where the lights shut off. Why don't you shut off all the lights and do that and then have him pop out and, and make a scary face and then go off the air? Yes, I think it could have been executed better. At the same time, look, we don't know how far in advance they planned that. And the Thunderdome and Amway Center, they're feeling out what they can do there, right? And they were able to utilize it to the fullest extent by doing that in that moment. So again, credit for trying, credit for effort. But yes, I, I think that could have been a little bit stronger. Now, moving on to Sunday. This match, this thing started at 100 miles an hour. The Fiend mm -hmm. tried to break Strowman's neck twice. Then we got them destroying each other on the ringside area, the fiend kicking out of the running power slam at 1.5 and then br them brawling in the gorilla position with Strowman kicking out of sister Abigail. I thought that was awesome. You never really see people brawl in the gorilla position. Maybe they enter it. Maybe you see them walk through, but them trying to tear it apart was great. The only way it could have been better is if one of them like got thrown into Vince or Hunter or something like that's the only way it could have been better in that situation. They come back to the ringside area. Um, Strowman gets out of the mandible claw. Fiend kicks out of another running power slam at two. And I was worried that at this point they might go crazy and take things out of the Thunderdome entirely or go like to a part two of the match that was cinematic. Because the whole time I'm thinking you'll never see it coming, right? So I'm wondering <laughs> what are they going to do? Because I was loving the match, legitimately loving the match. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are they going to do to ruin this? And maybe that's just the pessimist in me. And we've seen so many things happen with The Fiend where you just are expecting something to go wrong. And I was. So because of that, man, I loved what they did. Like, I truly, truly loved what they did. No cinematic crap. Okay? That ran its course. They're out of the Performance Center. They're now in the WWE Thunderdome. 
So I liked seeing Strowman get frustrated and pulling up the canvas in the mat. It was repetitive of some of what's happened in NXT recently in their main events, but most main roster fans don't watch NXT. So I'm okay with that. The Fiend then hits Strowman with a Uranagi onto the wood, a Sister Abigail onto the mat, and then another Sister Abigail onto the wood and gets the win. And I thought, Chris, and we're going to pause. We're not going to talk about the aftermath. But this match itself, I thought, was the best match we have seen from The Fiend since he's, or Bray Wyatt, since he's become this new character that was not against Daniel Bryan. Those Daniel Bryan matches were really special. Outside of those, this match was great. I thought Strowman did an incredible job. This was deserved to be the main event of SummerSlam. And that's despite the other matches being really good. And I was just very pleased at the booking and the storytelling they did in this match. You know, that that first Braun Bray match at, I think it was Money in the Bank, I thought that was pretty good too. I, I mean, these guys, I think, have some good in-ring chemistry together. Um, obviously, we're not going to probably keep it going uh, unless they do triple threats or something. But I, I, I like what they do. I like how they started the match. I only wish they had gone more. I, I know they weren't going to leave the Thunderdome, I guess, but it was false count anywhere. I was kind of disappointed to see it end in the ring. And basically, as far as they went, it was a little little past Gorilla and kind of back around again. So I, I thought they could have done more, given that that's my favorite stipulation. I've said it before. False count anywhere is my favorite wrestling stipulation because it opens the doors to so many different things you could do. And match was great. Still, even still, match was great. These guys work well they, they they hit each other hard big guys who can you know even bray you know picking up essentially i know i know braun's helping but picking up and slamming braun he can do that you know it, it's fun to watch these guys fight the only thing i didn't like was the end he pulls out the box cutter it, it just it made braun look dumb i i don't know if he was i i think there could have been a way to express it as He's frustrated, he's desperate, he's trying something, and then it cost him. But that's not really the way commentary sold it. They were just talking about how he's destroying the ring, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's over. It made him look like a chump to, to, to go through all this and then immediately immediately be, I guess, hoisted by his own petard is probably the way you would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, yeah, so I was a little deflated by that finish, but I, I really enjoyed the match. Otherwise, anytime something like a box cutter comes out, I always wonder, like, what exactly are the rules here? Could Braun have just stabbed Bray with that thing if he wanted to? But other than that, other other than that, other than the finish, I really like the match, and it's unfortunate that was kind of the finish. I, I think they could have just kind of sold that story a bit more because Braun has been driven crazy by the Fiend. They have told that story well throughout the past few weeks with Alexa, with him kind of doing a, a heel turn, as it were. Um, I, I think they could have just kind of sold that finish instead of it happen, happening kind of, I guess, haphazardly. But other than that, it, it, it was good. It's interesting you said that because when that box cutter got pulled out, and I did overlook that uh, in my thing here, I thought I thought he was going to cut him. Like, I maybe it's because they have me conditioned from eye for an eye and, <laughs> from, and, and from some of the other things that they've done. And with that tagline, you'll never see it coming. I, I thought he was going to cut his mask off. Uh, that, thought, that, yep, that, that's exactly. I thought he was going to cut the mask off to try to reveal the true face of the fiend or something like that. I was like, oh, this could get pretty good. And or, then you or, see him cutting. Then you see him cutting up the uh, cutting up the mat, and then boom, it's over. And you're like, oh. Well, yeah, and I thought he was either going to cut the mask off or try to do that, and maybe the fiend holds up one of his gloved hands, and Strowman just rips through it and literally, legitimately cuts fiend's hand and oh. starts bleeding, and then he <laughs> fiend like 
puts uses that to mandible claw him or something like that's oh, where man, I, thought, gnarly. I know i know so that that's where i thought we were going so i agree that when he then entered the ring with the box cutter and did not head for the fiend i was like oh and then yes i, I will buy into what you're saying a man that is you know however freaking large 385 i don't even know what he is um but for him to be bending over late in a match and using a box cutter to cut up canvas and pull foam and struggle doing so, by the way, because it wasn't yeah. cooperating with what he was trying to do. It was kind of like, look at this big, dumb idiot. And you know what? I'm OK with that because ultimately. That's who Strowman is as a character. It's it's who sometimes Big Show is. You always want these big guys to be completely dominant and and unbeatable. But the truth is, if you have a guy the size of Strowman or Big Show and they are completely unbeatable, then no one can ever win because they are legitimately bigger, stronger and badder than most of these other people. Right. So how do you beat guys like that? Well, you beat them because you're you as a heel or as a smaller wrestler are smarter and because they get too aggressive and they try to do things that are out of character for them. And I think that is what happened here. And I think that's what the booking told. And you're right. I think commentary should have done a better job saying Braun's not thinking straight. He's making a big mistake here. He should have been, he should, you know, keep going on the fiend. He has him in a prone position. They didn't sell that properly. They were trying right. to sell it as, hey, Braun's going to this extreme length. And that was the wrong way to do it. And I think, by the way, that they the reason they did that, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I proposed it, I think. Um actually, maybe I didn't propose it on. I'm trying to, I don't remember when stuff happened anymore. Yes, I did. No, on our, on our ultimate preview, I proposed the idea that this was a double turn and we'll talk about whether it was or was not in a minute. But I think based on how commentary told that part of the story, I do think that they did try to give us a double turn, but we will talk about that in a moment, Chris, because what we saw next after this match, the fiend pinning Strowman one, two, three, becoming the new universal champion, which absolutely was the right booking. There was no way Strowman could have won this match. What we saw next really got my juices flowing. Big dogs. Big dogs. Big dogs. That's two sirens and three big dogs because holy crap, Roman freaking Reigns returned to WWE in epic fashion, looking like a million bucks. He speared the shit out of the fiend, speared the shit out of Strowman, and he screamed at Strowman, I made you, you ain't a monster unless I'm here. Then he beat the hell out of Strowman with the steel chair, speared Fiend again, and screamed, this has always been mine. You're just a freak in a mask. You can't handle the responsibility. I run this bitch. Chris, holy crap. Now we can talk and we will talk about what that all means. What Roman is. Is he a heel? Is he a face? Is he the leader of retribution? Who's a face? Who's a heel? We can talk about all this. I don't care. Let's go two hours just on Roman Reigns. But in this moment, I popped. I popped harder, no pun intended, for Roman Reigns than I ever have in a Roman Reigns moment. Yeah, the ambulance match with Strowman was cool. And he's done some other cool shit. But this, the way he looked, the way he acted, it felt raw and real. And it told me, I pray to God, man, I pray that they are not returning Roman and injecting him into pure big dog 
cocking the wrist to do the Superman punch, wearing the heavy vest. I think they have figured out we need to make Roman Reigns a badass because he came off like a badass at the end of SummerSlam. I never saw it coming. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we were... I don't know if we were promised, but I mean, we were promised, never saw it coming. I saw stuff on Twitter that people thought there were going to be lots of swerves and twists and there weren't up until this. And so yeah. I think it was a great it was a great note to end on. He looks tanner. His teeth look whiter and the beard is glorious. He should always keep that level of beard. Don't go down to the thin stuff or just do the goatee. Roman Reigns should always have that that beard looks great. Love the T-shirt. Love him in a shirt. Please don't bring the vest back. Just bring him back as a guy who's going to wreck whatever the shirt said. Wreck wreck everybody and leave or something like that. Just, just do that. That's all we want. It's great to see him. And I'm going to say a little bit of part, a, a little part of me was a little, you know, just concerned considering, you know, the pandemic's still not over. And, and hopefully, you know, obviously, you know, he made the decision for his family and, and he felt comfortable coming back. I just hope uh, hope it all stays well with him because obviously we don't want anything to happen. But other than that, it was great to see him. Well, on that note, before we like maybe geek out a little bit more about Roman. So he said that the reason he stayed away was actually not because of his prior fights with leukemia, but rather because he had newborn twins. Right. So now you're looking at it and what has changed? Well, number one, they're five months older. So I don't know exactly when they were born, but generally, to the best of my knowledge, as someone who does not have children, there's a period of time after children are born where they need to have shots and they should not be around people and exposing them to something, especially like coronavirus, would be awful, of course. I mean, that would be terrible. But what else has changed? WWE is doing coronavirus testing and they're sure. apparently pretty strict doing so and they're forcing people to wear masks. So at WrestleMania, Roman was going to walk into a situation where they weren't testing, they weren't, people weren't in masks, and, and things were pretty dicey. And now it seems like WWE is doing as good a job as anyone actually testing for coronavirus. So different scenarios, and hopefully, uh, you know, in real life, in his personal life, a different situation in terms of his children where they're now past whatever period where it's especially dangerous, and he can come back. It was great to see this guy come back, and man... Like I popped in the moment and now I'm here asking questions, right? Here's the questions. Number one, did we see, and I'm going to take them one by one. Did we see a double turn in the match? Is Braun Strowman a heel and is the Fiend a face? I say yes. I say Braun's a heel and the Fiend is not a face. It's it's what I said after he's a last week's Raw. He's a tweener. He, he can't be, a, he's not a face. The Fiend can just, he's not, he's not a face. Maybe he's a guy who, who, he, he'll do things to, to heels, but that doesn't make him that doesn't make him a, a good guy either. Now, is Roman Reigns a heel? Is he someone who is coming back and their goal is to book him as a heel? It doesn't matter how the fans respond. Think about what they did with Becky Lynch. They turned her heel. It didn't work. Why did it not work? Fans loved it. And fans wanted her to turn on Charlotte because they hated Charlotte, right? So the fans forced them to turn her from a heel to a badass face basically two weeks after they tried to turn her heel. So I don't care what Roman ends up being four weeks from now. I'm talking about as of today, as of Friday night, the next time we see him, is this supposed to be a heel turn for Roman Reigns? Let's remember what he did here. He's calling the fiend a freak in a mask. He can't handle the responsibility. 
He not just speared two guys, but absolutely tried to murder Braun Strowman with a chair. And he's there huffing and puffing. He's wearing all black. The, the slogan, wreck everything and leave, that is not traditional Roman Reigns inspiration type of slogan. Is he supposed to be a heel right now? I don't think so. I think he's supposed to be a badass, cool face. He's supposed to be Becky Lynch. He's supposed to be kind of what kind of what Drew McIntyre has been, even though Drew is probably more a little bit more white meat baby face now. I don't think so. I, I think he's going to be a, a, a you, you don't come back as a heel, you know, unless you do something plainly obvious in the moment. This was clearly, hey, I'm back. I was supposed to take the title from you, you know, doing my thing. We'll see. I don't think he is. I think that I think he's going to be a, a badass face, and I think that's what he should be. Yeah, I think he probably should be a badass face because in his last run, fans were buying into him again, mm-hmm. and they were starting to say, you know what? It took a while. You guys really booked him poorly, but this guy beat cancer. We like him. His booking has been better. You haven't forced him into the title picture. We're starting to buy in. And I think if WWE forces him into a heel role now, I think it'll work. And if they really go all in on it, I think it could work. But I think fans want to cheer for him. I think that Roman Reigns coming back to WWE the way he did on Sunday night, it was just one element of a larger three-plus-hour show that said to me that WWE is back. Now, I'm not saying they're the best product I am not saying that all of their ills are cured. I'm not saying yes, you are. No, everybody knows you hate AEW and you love WWE. Everybody knows, which I praise, which I praise by the way on Twitter. I I praise the AEW. Um, But what I think WWE has done over the last few days with the introduction of the Thunderdome, with the booking of some stuff we'll talk about in a little bit, with the return of Roman Reigns, is they are saying we are putting our best foot forward. Now that best foot may only have four toes because of Vince McMahon's booking, right? Or because of camera cuts or whatever things people don't like about WWE. But what I saw on Sunday night was from Roman's return, the booking of the WWE championship match, the booking of the women's championship matches, uh, the Dominic uh, Mysterio versus Seth Rollins match. I saw concerted efforts to book and to give match finishes that rewarded fans for being invested in the product. And that is not something that we have consistently seen from WWE over the last three years or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one other thing I'll say about Roman, and I, I kind of just mentioned it, but Drew McIntyre is that he's he's that he's what they wanted Roman to be and that he's the guy who's fighting Randy Orton to, to stand up for the legends. He's doing it for Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. He's the guy doing the one, two, three, count to the crowd before he does a Claymore kicks. Obviously not necessarily without a, without a full crowd, but he's the guy who can kind of be that pure face, even though he's an aggressive, he, he can be that pure face now. And that can let Roman go off and do his thing. And they don't need him to be face of the company guy every time he's doing something. So I, I think hopefully this opens up more, uh, kind of more boundary pushing with him, which is, which is what we've always wanted. I hope so as well. And last question before we move on, I'll propose it to you. I'll answer second. Is there any way Roman Reigns is the leader of retribution? <laughs> God, I hope not. Um, I, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know where I want retribution to go. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, 
I'm not. Re- I don't have a feeling on what they should do. I was surprised they weren't on SummerSlam, but I do not think Roman Reigns is the the head of them. I, I mean, I don't know. As we're talking about it now, if if it turns out Roman has been the leader the whole time and he was waiting for his moment and yada 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 whatever, I think it'd be kind of funny. But uh, I, I hope they have bigger plans for Retribution than that. Yeah, I, I hope that Retribution does not involve Roman. But if they do decide to make him the head of it, the leader. I will completely withhold criticism until they give me a storyline because you have to explain why he is that leader, what the group's about. If they have a motivation where it makes sense for him to be the leader, then it can all fall into place and be totally fine. But I can't just straight up say today, is he the leader of retribution? No, I don't think so. Uh, And if he is, what do you think about that? I don't know because they're not telling me a storyline with retribution. They're attacking and running away and that's all I'm getting right now. I need I a manifesto. I need something like with meat behind it. You know? Yeah. I mean, even, even with that, I don't want it to be a Brody Lee and the dark order type of thing either, which is where it, I, I feel like it, it's not, if it went, if it went down the road, that's where it could go. And I haven't been a fan of that. So like one guy you truly care about and then just a bunch of other people. Yeah. I don't yeah. want that. I'm with you. Okay. Plenty more to talk about, about SummerSlam first and then NXT takeover 30. So let us move on. Good discussion though about, all those guys and what was truly, in my opinion, a tremendous main event for SummerSlam. But I thought we had an incredible triple main event. And the second match, the one that preceded it, the co-main, Drew McIntyre successfully defending the WWE Championship against Randy Orton. I was so hyped coming out of the Sasha Banks Asuka match that it took me a good minute to get into this. I felt like it started slow and it wasn't really capturing me. But... When McIntyre locked Orton in the figure four and Orton responded by gouging his eyes out, that grabbed me and drew me in. McIntyre looked really good doing the figure four. And by the way, he should utilize that going forward. I like the booking of McIntyre attempting higher risk maneuvers because he knew that he would need them against Orton. He couldn't just beat him clean doing what he normally does against most most other wrestlers. The trading of signature moves down the stretch was also a fun sequence. The future shock DDT, then that momentum Slam the Glasgow kiss and the elevated DDT. Orton dismissed an RKO and decided to go for the punt instead. McIntyre caught it for that sick power bomb. Then Orton dodged the Claymore. So I was ready. I was ready, dude. We talked about it. I was ready for the RKO and the win. And yeah, the backslide definitely caught me by surprise. So credit to them for that finish. I did find myself wanting Orton to win in that moment. I don't know if it's because it's what I predicted and the storyline that we put together on the show, but I did feel like I wanted Orton to win. Nevertheless, they figured out a way to give us a clean finish that wasn't cheap and didn't hurt anyone. And it's not often that WWE does that. I think ultimately what we discussed on our preview may come into play or may have come into play in this situation with WWE wanting McIntyre to have that crowning moment he did not get at WrestleMania. It felt like when he beat Orton, it almost felt like he won the title on Sunday night. So I have no qualms with him still being the champion. But at the same time, now we move on to Raw going forward. And I don't know who he really has left on the brand right now as a legitimate heel main event challenger. Oh, I think it's pretty clear what's going to happen next. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, You know, this match started out and it was plotting. And I was like, oh, boy. 
Randy right. Orton all the time. You get hyped for a program of his and then the big <laughs> match comes and it's a slow 40 minute match that doesn't do anything. And then you get all annoyed and you start the cycle over again. And it got better. It, it did get better as it went on. They were both bleeding a little bit. That I, I, that did help. It really helped the facials expressions, which were both really good. And then Drew, right before the Claymore, he's got that fire. And you could see it. You're fired up for him as this move's coming. Then boom, 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 roll up in the wind. I popped for I I, I popped for the, the the backslide pin. Drew McIntyre has been a smart face this entire time. And for him to outsmart Randy Orton and sneak away with the wind, I thought was brilliant. It fit his character. It's great when you see a, a face doing something like that. I would love I love just straight roll-up finishes. That it's like it's not 50-50 booking. There's a way you can do it without a schmoz, without a distraction, without something weird. Just whoop out of nowhere, boom, small package or something, ends a match. It's a great way to take a story forward without hurting the person who lost. And uh, it was great to Drew to to have that moment. I, I think he's been a good champion. He's been a smart champion, and this all fit into that. And where this goes next, to me. I have no doubt this is going to be Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre at payback and Randy Orton's going to get to win. You think in one week, you think they go right to it? I think they do. I, I, th- I think because you do the backslide roll up, it's an easy to say, hey, you got lucky. Let, let's do this again. You know, it, it, he wants payback, you know, figure out a way to get there. But it seems natural. It's like it's, it, as soon as this ended, you're like, oh, they can go right back into this. It's not like something needs to happen to advance the story. I think you can do that. But overall, you know, as the match was going on, I was like, man, I loved Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley a couple months ago. That that's the kind of big match that that Drew that Drew does well. Orton just doesn't do good matches against uh, big guys in in, in general. So I, I thought they did. Pull, they, they pulled it together. It started slow, but they pulled it together. And I, I think you can absolutely do this again in a week and, and see where it goes. I think you can too. Um, you've, you know, I, I was thinking more about if they move on from the Randy Orton program, then who is left? And I, I honestly don't right. know that there that there is anyone because he's beaten no. Rollins, he's beaten Lashley, and there's really no one else on that main event heel level. Someone else is going to be debuting on Monday. We'll talk about that person later. But they're not a heel. They're just not a heel. So I don't know what other direction they could go in. But if that is your resolution, then I'm okay with it because it kills two birds basically with one stone. It, go- it goes to what we said in our ultimate preview, which is, man, r- based on kayfabe, Randy Orton should really be winning the title here. He's the MVP of 2020. He's the best heel in the business right now. How do you not have him be Drew McIntyre? But then what we talked about, hey, you know what? This could be a big moment for McIntyre. What I basically just said, I don't want to repeat myself, that he didn't have at WrestleMania. So yes, in a rare circumstance, I would be totally okay with them calling back this match one week later. That way McIntyre has his moment, but then Randy Orton still, they, they do the booking that is the smarter booking. And that's Randy Orton coming out on top as champion. Yep. The only mm-hmm. problem is, you know, you kind of want Drew McIntyre to bask in this glory of being champion. You want him to sit, to take this and use this as propellant. I think what you can do is you have Orton beat him here. And then maybe you have a third match at the next pay-per-view. And even if, McIntyre doesn't win the title. At least he's still in that main event picture and you have him there going, you know, going forward where he doesn't really drop off. And maybe after that, when you do your draft, you trade him to SmackDown. 
and you tra- and you bring someone else back to Raw. So I do think that there is a long-term future, obviously, for Drew McIntyre in the main event role. And I do buy into your booking there. I do think you're right. They're going to roll this back at, at payback. And I do think uh, Randy Orton's going to win the title. You're, you're definitely right about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, lo- I've loved Drew's run. I'm glad he got kind of a semi-big moment here. I think he's he's done a great job. It's so it's It's been so much fun to see a strong, aggressive, smart heel champion who's not a John Cena type. You know, we, we, we don't get this often. Um, it, it's just, it, who, who knows what the future is with this feud, but it was good to see Drew get this moment because he's, he's really deserved it. And I hope when once there are full crowds, he, he gets another one of them. So I'm going to set the over under at 10 and a half. Okay. How many times between Raw and SmackDown Will superstars, not commentary, superstars use the word payback? Uh, it, it, it's got to be over. I, I think it's going to be over just based on saying the name of the pay-per-view like they do so many times. I think it's definitely going to be over. Okay. All right, good. That's more. That's two times per hour, basically. So that's what I'm going for. I'm going to be very curious if anyone wants to keep count because I probably will forget. Uh, be a great uh, getting over listener and please do that for me. Chris, we need to talk about the women's championship picture involving Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Asuka in two women's title matches. Asuka, that is, in two women's title matches on Sunday night. Before we get to the matches, I want to talk about SmackDown and start with that promo segment they had. By the way, their pyro, and they, they, they've really stepped up pyro for a lot of superstars, but the pyro for Bailey and Sasha Banks is awesome. Mm. That said, the rest of that segment, I didn't really love it because I kind of felt like Corey Graves bungled the entire thing. Asking them straight up if they're splitting is so unnecessary and typical WWE trying to force feed us like we're children with a storyline. I don't need you guys to tell me that they may split up and to keep my eye out on that. You've been teasing it for like two years. Well, for a year, I guess. And and really largely in the last three months. So allow me as a fan to see those teases and enjoy them and then see them all come to fruition. Stop banging me over the head with it. And Corey did that both on SmackDown and then Michael Cole and Corey did it during Bailey's match. Sunday night at SummerSlam. I just found that so ridiculous and it, it's so annoying to me. Then it wasn't clear really until Michael Cole said it that those Naomi matches would determine the order of the matches at SummerSlam, but that was already predetermined on Monday night. Yeah. They determined. Then there's the booking of that whole situation. Naomi, who obviously has this fan momentum and that's why they put her in the spot. She shows gumption and she makes the challenge. Yet she loses to Sasha Banks in less than four minutes. And then, after being destroyed, beats Bailey in less than three minutes. And I know Bailey was acting up and, and, and parading around and stuff, and she got caught. I get it. Okay, I get it. But the end result is the same match order that we had going in. Naomi got killed by one women's champion and beat another. I don't think anyone benefited from the entire situation. It felt like they wanted to hit fast forward on the breakup with Graves beating us over the head with it on commentary, Sasha celebrating wildly, 
when Bailey lost and then Bailey running away as if we would not have gotten it otherwise. And I thought that was really shitty to your fans when it's just like, you're treating us like children. We watch your product. We know they're going to break up eventually. Yeah, you know, I I know I just said earlier I wanted commentary to explain what was behind Braun doing what he was doing better because if it's something that's going to happen and you can see it with your eyes, you don't need commentary to explain it. We, exactly. we they're going to break up, they're going to fight, we're going to see it. You got to explain us what's going on in their heads that we're not necessarily seeing. That's where you got to have the nuance in terms of how you're telling the story, not just banging you over the head with the obvious thing. So, yes, that was weird. Also, beat the clock challenge usually doesn't involve wrestling the same person. <laughs> right. That's also weird. Um, I did like I did like the idea of Corey doing the interview in the ring. It just it always feels bigger when someone from commentary comes up to do the interview in the ring, like when Jerry Lawler used to do it or something like that. Uh, it just it, it feels bigger when that happens. So I, I like seeing that. Um, but. Again, for all the reasons we just kind of talked about, it was a little bit, a, a little bit, uh, a little bit too much. Yeah, it's really the subtlety that matters. It's in wrestling, you want, and I've said this many times, you want to feel like you are figuring things out. You want to feel like you're smart and that when you predict something that's coming, it pays off. And when commentary goes so far as to kind of beat you over the head with, hey, this thing is going to be happening sooner than later. You're just like, man, come on. Like, just let me figure it out for myself, right? Let the yeah. story unfold on its own. And that is where I thought Corey Graves in particular and whoever wrote or decided that he should do that really did the fans a disservice. Now, that said, okay, that's negativity. I want to end the negativity right now because what we saw Sunday night at SummerSlam, in my opinion, was some of the best women's wrestling and women's booking that we have seen ever. In WWE. And I'm not just saying that because I predicted this entire thing exactly down to the moves and the finishes of the match. And to celebrate it, we're going beer number two. This one is an incredible beer I've been saving for a good moment. Kentucky Coffee Barrel Cream Ale. Many of you have probably had the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Top tier beer. They also make a vanilla barrel. Very good. This is a coffee cream ale. From the Kentucky Company. Incredible Sounds beer. Weird. Incredible beer for a couple incredible matches. Let's start with the SmackDown women's. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on. I gotta interrupt real quick. Go. Randy Orton Randy Orton just posted on Instagram. Was really nice seeing hashtag the big dog Roman Reigns is back with a picture. Let me send this to you. With a picture of Brian Griffin from Family Guy with uh, when he got super white teeth and it's like a, a, a glare coming off the teeth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that is incredible. That's hilarious. Uh, so that so he noticed he noticed the white teeth on uh, Roman. Yeah. Reigns, who looked, oh, we, again, didn't, we didn't mention it. Look, Roman got veneers. Roman got veneers. And like there's veneers that you can get that are obvious. And there's ones that aren't. And he decided to get the obvious ones. And and. Uh, he had posted them on Instagram a while ago. So like we knew uh, that I didn't see that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I knew he had them, but there was a difference between seeing them on Instagram and seeing them in like 1080p HD, like on a big screen TV, those, bub those, uh, those babies are pearly white and they are, they are out there. So, uh, let's hope, um, I don't know how veneers work in terms of maybe they 
they calm down a little bit over time, the color or I don't know, but <laughs> they are bright, man. They are big. Those are chiclet teeth. I, I'll tell you. There's no question. Good joke. Good joke from Randy, who is suddenly who's suddenly very, very good at social media. By the way, Randy Orton is not just the MVP of 2020 because he's great in the ring and good on promos. He became woke. He is incredible on social media. He posts hysterical stuff on Twitter and Instagram. He is just having top to bottom the best year out of anyone in 2020. And when I say anyone, I don't mean in wrestling. I mean, like everyone else (laughs) is having a pretty shitty year in 2020. Randy Orton is having the year of his life. So kudos to that guy. But okay, Uh, I I accept that interruption because that was totally great. And, you know, are you going to tweet that out? Like, can we show people or what? I mean, uh, I mean, just go to Randy Orton's Twitter page. He yeah, right. tweeted it. So go to go yeah. to Randy Orton. Take a look at that picture of Brian Griffin. Very funny. OK, let's go back <laughs> to women's wrestling and the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey defeating Asuka and retaining the title. Dude, I thought this was absolutely perfect as an opening match to the show. The action was incredible with Bailey and Asuka both able to do top level work over more than 20 minutes. They got a good amount of time in that match. So they did their talent and the title justice with a featured spot on the card and plenty of time in the ring to just prove how important it is and how good they are. Then the finish, you know, I'll probably say it three or four times here, is exactly what I expected when we did our ultimate preview with Banks doing whatever she could to help Bailey retain, including taking a beating. She took like four shots in a row from Asuka. It was also really good heel tactics for Banks and Bailey to destroy Asuka after the match, knowing that another match was coming. So we'll pause just at SmackDown. We'll then go to Raw after. But setting up what was going to happen later, by the time this match was over, in my head, I said, I nailed this. Like I was, I was saying, they're going to book this. Gonna, but it's not just, I'm not just saying it for that reason. I'm saying they're going to book this the right way. And I'm not saying every time what, what I say they should book, that's the best. But In this case, I really felt like I had a good handle on it. And when I saw the finish of that match, I said, I I just have a feeling they're going to nail this. And that was step one. Yes. I, again, Bailey and Asuka, so good together in the ring. Um, Every, I mean, Asuka with Sasha, who we'll get to too, again, they're just so, Asuka can just work great with, with everybody really uh, an incredible talent. I was a little annoyed at the finish when it happened. Because we've gotten so many schmozzy finishes in this feud. And in the moment, I was annoyed we got another one of them. But for the reasons you just explained and for what happened later in the night, I've since come around on it. Uh, It was a good match. I was annoyed at the finish at the time, but I do think it helped tell the larger story, which we got later in the night. The good thing about them also is they are legitimate heels, but also chicken shit heels. They are keep our titles by any means necessary type of heels. So they went on a string where they won matches clean. Then they started facing the competition that they couldn't beat in Asuka. So now they're being chicken shits and trying to get out of it. So I was fine with that because they've already established both of them as strong champions. So once you do that, if you want to do schmas type of finishes, roll-ups, things like that, that's okay. Now, look, the stuff that happened with Sasha Banks and Asuka and how they told that story in a very convoluted fashion with almost holding the title in abeyance when there wasn't a clean finish because Bailey with the referee thing. And then yeah. 
Yeah, you know, when you do the referee, the, the Kyrie Sane count out stuff, it was Oscar's yeah, had a Oscar's had a string of weird booked finishes, although the past couple of weeks have given her some strong wins as well. Like no matter what happened on Sunday, which I do think was not good but great, they still could have booked those things better and done them smarter and cleaner, where Banks wins the title. And, you know, maybe there's some stuff going on, but it's not just completely a convoluted mess. Nevertheless, we got to this point, right? And we got to a really good booking going into the show where you have the best women's wrestler in the world, probably Asuka, going against two of the other top 10 women's wrestlers in the world, including, in my opinion, number two in Sasha Banks. And we had that Raw Women's Championship match nicely separated from the opening match. And the third to last match on the card, which, by the way, and I don't mean that it should be in that position, but it's a main event match. They had four main events on this show. Okay, one of them they used to open the program, which was smart. And they did the other three in succession. And long term listeners of this show, the prior show, State of Combat and the show before that in this corner, all of you know how important to the Silver King card building is. And they built the perfect card on Sunday night, every match was in its proper spot and Asuka versus Sasha Banks in the third main event spot, the try main event uh, was perfect. You have Sasha Banks, you have Sasha Banks losing the title to Asuka in this match. And man, I loved the furious start to this match with Banks trying to exhaust Asuka, hitting that beautiful sunset flip powerbomb off the ring apron the brutal thud by Asuka there. She gets Banks back with that, Ooh, yeah. with that incredible face plant and then the DDT from the middle rope. As good as that Bailey match was earlier, and I thought it was very good. It was a B-plus match. This was another level. Expert-tier wrestling from Banks and Asuka with the submission reversals, how both of them reverse their bodies away from the ropes during the submission. That way, they're opponent was unable to just mm-hmm. easily go to the ropes and break the submissions. The, the ring knowledge, knowing where they were and what they needed to do to make it feel legitimate. It was, it was truly expert level. This is the third time they fought. The other two were great. This, I don't even know that I can say it amped it up to another level, but when you combined the ring work with the booking, it was just top tier. And then we get the freaking finish, man. Identical to the Bailey match, but yep. Bailey chose self-preservation instead of affecting Asuka, which is what Banks did earlier in the night. That was the difference in the outcome. This, to me, is the best women's wrestling has ever been in WWE. Not just because of the match quality, but the long-term storytelling. The thought put into the bookings. Becky Lynch may have had better moments a couple years ago, and you guys know, everyone who listens, who's listened to me, huge, massive Becky Lynch fan. Love Ronda Rousey was extremely excited for their match at WrestleMania. But this is so much more consistent, well thought out, planned in advance. It even, as I mentioned a bit ago, somewhat atoned for the convoluted booking regarding Asuka losing the title in the first place because the goal was to put the title on Sasha Banks so that you could have that moment in this match to cause what we expect to be a rift between Sasha Banks and Bailey. The cherry on top for me, Chris, was commentary. Mentioning before the match that Sasha Banks has never successfully defended a singles title on the main roster 
before mm-hmm. the match. And despite five title reigns, she's fifth in combined days as champion. <laughs> you guys know I have been talking about this for weeks and they used it in the freaking storyline. Uh, so once again, what do we have? Sasha Banks, again, losing a title in her first title defense. Again, losing a title in 27 days for the third time, by the way, of, ho- of holding the title less, th- sorry, five times holding it less than a month. Third time holding it exactly 27 days. Dude, I absolutely loved this. There's no bigger fan of what they did Sunday night with the women than the Silver King. Please tell me you agree with me. Oh, yeah. By by the end, like I said, by the end, I loved what they did. I'm glad they're finally moving forward on this. I'm not going to, at this moment, put it ahead of Becky's run from fall 2018 up to WrestleMania, right? 2019. Yeah. But um, in in terms of just energy around everything, because Becky just kind of, I think, just carried a lot more with her. But but that was also with the crowd, and I got to keep that in mind and, and how the, how this would be going if we had a crowd and everything else. And the like I said, would, the, the crowd would have gone absolutely yep. insane. For this. Yep. And, and the, and the, 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 the finishes of the last couple months kind of took away from it a little bit, but they're finally at this point, they told a good story. The only thing I, I was thinking about when Oscar was, was, um, uh, had Sasha at the end, I was wondering if, if she was going to hold it for so long and Sasha wouldn't tap and then Bailey would throw in the towel and that would get it going. Um, gotcha. That might've been, that might've been a little too, uh, might've been a little too obvious maybe, but, but I, I don't hate what they did. I like what they did. I think it worked. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see obviously what the next step is. It's time now to start doing this. They have the tag team title defense at payback. Uh, it, it seems like we're finally moving forward on this now and see where it goes. Um, don't want it to go too quickly because you still want to have the blow off between these two in a big pay per view with with a, with a, with a crowd if you can. Uh, but it, it, after after a handful of months of kind of bouncing all over the place, they got here to the point that I think we we all wanted them to. If they drop the titles at payback, I, I bet a thousand. I go three for three. I'll just make that clear. <laughs> I nail it. Yeah, I nail the storyline. Right. I, I had the reverse. I had Bailey losing and Sasha winning, and, and and Bailey getting upset and becoming an angry heel, and Sasha becomes a face as a champion. But I was wrong. You were right. But that's that's the third part of this. And you know what? If Bailey in that match taps out, even because hey, it's just the women's tag team titles. You know that doesn't mean anything. She still has her SmackDown title. Um, that really cements the entire thing. And I do think ultimately that's going to happen. And look, I don't want to be living in the moment too much, okay? You guys know that the Becky Lynch stuff, I freaked out over it. The situation with the invasion and Nia Jax busting her nose, that may have been a transitional moment in women's wrestling where forget, forget, forget the evolution and the revolution. That was, oh my God, women can be badass on top of everything else. And yes, there was the incredible TLC match with Asuka, Charlotte, and Becky. And there was incredible things that Becky did. The moment with the cop cars with Charlotte Flair and Rousey was great. I'm not trying to say necessarily that any individual moment here is better than that. But what I saw from this storyline and what I've seen over the last few months and what I have seen in the totality of the booking with Sasha Banks and Bailey, is the seriousness with which they're treating them, the dominance that they're allowing them to have, the character work they're allowing them to put forward and the storytelling that is unfolding 
without the hindrance of Vince McMahon changing plans at the last moment. And yeah, maybe they did that in part with Sasha winning the Raw Women's Championship, but they did that for a reason. They did that to get to this. They said at SummerSlam, what do we want to happen? How do we want to do this storyline? They said, well, you know, it'd be pretty cool if Sasha Banks was the champion. Then we could do X, Y, and Z. So they said, okay, let's figure out a way to make her the champion. So that's what they did. Now, again, they could have done it better, but it got us to this point. So massive fan. I'm realizing now I need more positive sound drops because I don't really have a way. (laughs) I don't really have a way to like tell you how much I love this. Actually, let me try this. I'm the legit boss. I'm the standard. I'm the blueprint. I am the leader and I am the conversation. They were definitely the conversation. SummerSlam, I know other big stuff happened, but for me, the women's stuff was incredible. And by the way, dude, we have to give credit to Asuka. She was the MVP Sunday night. She worked two matches, B plus, A minus, most likely, if I was grading them, at the worst. Just an incredible night for her, right? She never has a bad bad match. She even, she'll, she'll take matches with Nia Jax and turn them into something respectable. She is a wizard. She is absolutely incredible. Uh, let's move on. Seth Rollins defeats Dominic Mysterio in Mysterio's debut match. And look, this was 15 years and two days <laughs> since the custody match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Uh, I believe that was a ladder match, if memory serves. And I obviously loved the homage uh, that Rollins did actually for Rey Mysterio wearing gear fashioned out of his Halloween Havoc 1997 look in a match against Guerrero that is considered one of the greatest matches of all time. By the way, it's like a 14-minute match. Today, everyone complains, oh, you want to have a 22-minute, 27-minute match? It needs to go 45 minutes, whatever. Uh-huh. They they did like 14 minutes and tore the freaking house down. If you've never seen Halloween Havoc 97, get your ass to the WWE Network and watch Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. But such a great touch for the gear. Rollins always looks like a million bucks for major pay-per-views. On that gear topic, before we get into the match, <laughs> Dominic had a hood. How distracting yeah. is that? Like if you're in kayfabe and you're a wrestler, how distracting is it to have a working hood that is not like tied down to the back of your gear that can just flip up at any time and like blind you? I thought that was so stupid. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess sometimes he's been wearing a hoodie when he comes out, I think. and But like right off the bat, he did a couple of bumps and whatever, and he immediately had to he had to put his hands up and put the hood back down. And it, it was uh, it, it's like, you know, if, if women don't wrestle with their hair tied in any sort of way and it gets in the way right away. Like, uh, right. yeah, I thought the gear looked good. He just, oh, yeah. The hood, just the hood was the hood was hood was obviously a mistake. All you have to do is sew the hood to the back of the gear and you're done. I mean, it's very easy. You can still wear the hood, just you don't want it flipping up. Anyway, um, the storytelling, the pacing, the overall booking of this match, I thought were great. Dominic did a really good job in the early going, not just getting an offense, but selling properly from Rollins. They wanted Rollins to be dominant as he should be as the experienced wrestler. And Dominic was able to make that look like it was what was happening. Then you see him start getting offense. He did the white Russian leg sweep off the top rope through the table and then the homage to Eddie Guerrero with the frog splash. Rollins kicks out of it at two. That was poetic, the fact that he did that. I just thought that flurry of offense from Dominic kind of said, I mean, yeah, they probably prepared and practiced this match as you would with a 23-year-old making his debut, but you didn't necessarily see that. You saw a kid who 
looked really natural in there. And I don't think he's going to be a full-time wrestler doing a ton of matches, being on Raw every single week. But this is a guy where, hey, you know, give him a couple feature matches here, give him a three months off, put him in NXT, and let this guy cook. And I think he can be a young star in this company. He looked really good in this match. You saw Ray get distracted by his wife, Angie, and then Rollins considers going, or actually tries to go after her, which showed how sick and sadistic he was. Then we get the false finish with Dominic hitting the 619, going for a second frog splash. Rollins blocks it with his knees while Ray is handcuffed and unable to help his son. And Rollins just destroys him with the stomp for the win. To me, Chris, that was perfectly booked. The storytelling was on point. Dominic looked good despite it being his debut. They figured out a way to make it impossible for Ray to save his son, which allowed the loss to be the correct finish. Because you know, you know, we were talking about it beforehand, and I think you agreed that Dominic should win because someone has to win this feud. Rollins can't win. He's the heel. Like at some point, the Mysterios have to come out on top. So if they wanted Dominic to lose, Rollins just pinning Dominic with Ray getting run over by Murphy or something, that's stupid. Like it doesn't make any sense. But for Ray to be taunted, you know, sadistically in that manner while he watches his son eat a stomp, that to me made Rollins winning the correct booking. And you want to talk about payback. I think we may get Ray Mysterio versus Seth Rollins one week from Sunday. Yeah, I think that sets up. You you picked Dominic in this match, right? I did. And I'm very glad I was wrong. Yeah, I, I did. I picked the wrong booking. Yeah, I, I I I had this one right. I just wanted to have that out there. Oh, I thought you picked Dominic. Okay, good. No, I picked Seth because I, I just figured Seth can't lose to Dominic Mysterio at SummerSlam. Dominic, he looks smooth. I Man, he looks like a natural in there. I, like, and, and, and you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people talked about Pat McAfee, who we'll talk about later, making his debut and surprising people. Dominic, ooh, man, he took it. He was he was a several levels above what we saw there. He he's. not right away, but he's, I think, got absolutely got a future in this business if that's what he wants to do. Love the finish. Love the visual of it. Uh, Just just a great setup and build to it. And yeah, now I think it makes sense to move this into payback and maybe finish it off there. But uh, yeah, my biggest takeaway was Dominic, you know, that match went longer than I expected. And it there was it, it did not feel like Rollins was carrying him. It didn't feel like it was dragging. It felt like we saw the beginning of a, of a kid who may have a very special future. I, I do think he has that future. Really, there's no question about it. And looking at the pay-per-view calendar, wait, wait, it looks... Wait, how, do you think Dominic has it? Oh, do I have that? Oh, man. Damn it. Yeah, you prompted me and I blew it. <laughs> Dominic Mysterio has it. All right, I saved it. Um, yeah, I think he does. I don't know that he has it in 2020 where we're going to see it in the next six, nine months. But look, who's who's training this guy, right? Freaking Rey Mysterio. He's probably also trained with Chavo Guerrero. Whose tapes has he watched his entire life? His father and Eddie Guerrero, two of the best luchadors of all time, right? So like, how could this guy not work out? He'd have to be unathletic. He has size. He has strength. He has ability. He seems to have charisma and he's starting at age 23 in terms of like actively wrestling. So get this guy in the performance center, have him work on his craft. This is a kid who by age 25, maybe give him two years in the performance center, he could be right on NXT 
as a major part of that product if he's not on the main roster. You know, if they don't just keep him on Raw, which they definitely could do. Um, but yeah, if he, if he commits to it, he has the potential, and he has. Now, looking at this pay-per-view calendar, just since you mentioned it, I was kind of wondering, if they don't go with Mysterio Rollins at Payback, when could they do it? Well, unfortunately, it looks like Clash of Champions is going to be September 27th, and then Hell in a Cell is not until November 1st. So while, yes, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, Hell in a Cell makes all of the sense in the world, I don't know if they can keep stretching this out like another three months and wait yeah. and wait for that. I think they probably need to do it at payback, have you Mysterio can, win and get it over. And you can do a hell in a cell match at, at payback if you want to. I, I will. There'll, there'll have to be some sort of stipulation here. I mean, we did eye for an eye and all this other stuff. It can't just be a regular match. So I'm curious if they decide to do anything different. Name a stipulation. I don't care. You have a match with me. Speaking about stipulation matches, we had Mandy Rose defeat Sonya Deville in a no disqualification loser leaves WWE match. And this is the second match that changed stipulations from our ultimate preview to the actual show. The first, of course, being the Universal Championship that was made a Falls Count Anywhere match. So we'll talk SmackDown and we'll talk uh, SummerSlam here. The quick backstage moments on SmackDown were great with Mandy trying to cancel the match almost in a shoot manner and Sonya having none of it. She got that absolutely fire promo. By the way, Sonya Deville in a suit is almost at Asuka in a suit levels. Right? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is now officially a suited Sonya Deville podcast. That's that's what I'm claiming. Uh, I felt like in that promo on SmackDown, she released all the rage that she had been building up from that week. And she released it all in that moment. My mindset with the stipulation change was perhaps Sonya got legitimately shaken beyond expectation and decided to take time off beyond what she normally would have been able to, right? Did we, I'm forgetting, did all this stuff happen before we taped our Tuesday show or no? No, we talked about it briefly. We did, okay. So for those that don't know, if you missed the show or or whatever, you're out of the loop, uh, Sonya Deville was at home late at night a man broke into her house, tried to kidnap her. Like legit, like knife, pepper spray, zip ties, whole deal. Mandy Rose was there in a guest bedroom. They both ran out. The guy got arrested. He admitted it. And he already got, I guess, arraigned in court. So, and Sonya had to be there. So she had a week from absolute hell. And, you know, I don't necessarily know that they needed to do a loser leaves WWE stipulation here. But if she told them, hey, look, I'm looking to take six months off or something like that then I guess I can see why they might do something like that and change the stipulation here. So when I when we judge the match, when we talk about it, it needs to be understood. Crazy week. Who knows if they even had an opportunity to truly plan it. And grade, the grade's on a curve here, basically. But this match never clicked for me. In real life, Mandy would have absolutely zero chance in a match like this versus Sonya, a real fighter who is simply tougher. I get, obviously, the stipulation... Um, was dictated by the situation, but I would have made it loser leaves WWE in a regular match rather than no disqualification. Obviously, like I said, you have to be mindful of what these ladies went through throughout the week. And if this was thrown together at the last minute, then really any criticism of this is not founded. But 
if you're judging the show and you're saying, hey, what's the best match? What's the worst match? This was, in my opinion, the worst match of the show. It was nice at the very end to see Mandy have some fun, like doing the Caterpillar. And it popped me that she failed doing it and she was really bad at it. So I actually enjoyed that. I put a smile on my face at the end of the match. But the hope here, Chris, is that Sonya Deville comes back sooner than later because what we have seen from her in this feud, what we saw from her Friday on SmackDown, she is a legitimate star in this company. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if we know for sure exactly why things changed the way they did. I, I'm at, that probably has something to do with it. So certainly don't blame her and hope um, hope she's able to, to you know, be okay with everything. I, I, it probably was the worst match, but I didn't hate this match. I, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I didn't. Ex- I guess I didn't expect it to be a barn burner, but I thought it was. It, it was kind of what I what I expected. Mandy continues to just get better in the ring every time you see her. She gets a little bit better. I like that spot where they had the table down and Sonny was sliding the chairs across. That was <laughs> yeah. a really cool spot. I'd never really seen that before, and I thought that was kind of a creative way to do that. Um, Mandy's knee is getting better. I think, I, I think Sonya kind of had trouble kind of selling some of it and especially on that finish as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, she probably needs to, I guess, sell a little bit better, which is probably tough when you're, when you're a real life fighter, you know, you're not, you know, you're usually not doing that when, and I think Mandy's actually pretty good at that as well. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think Sonya for the past month or two has really, really taking big steps forward. And, and I think she can really be a force in the future. We, we were hoping to see her in, in raw underground, I think, uh, yeah, down yeah. the road. So, so who, who knows what the future is? Um, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully it remains in WWE whenever that happens. And, and hopefully, you know, um, you know, hopefully she's okay. Hey, who the hell knows what the future of raw underground is. We're going to find that out Monday night now that they're out of the performance center. But just to clarify, Worst match of the show does not mean bad match necessarily. So sure. I thought I thought this was probably like a C minus. So, you know, below average, but just barely. They tried really hard. I get it. Um, and I, I fully give benefit of the, of the doubt to everything that's happening. Uh, the, the most important thing coming out of all this is Sonya Deville, you know, is able to recover from the situation. She didn't get injured or nothing happened to her physically, but mentally, emotionally, take all the time you need in a situation like this come back stronger and you know, I'm sure she'll be amping up even more security at her house as I would. Uh, and I'm a, you know, I, I'm a guy who lives alone and I, you know, I hear a weird, I hear a weird sound late at night and I'm like, Oh my God, what's happening? Well, you know, I freak out. So I, I've invested in security for my house. If I'm her, you know, I, I double up, you know, of course, based on what happened. So, um, I'm just, I'm glad she's safe. Glad Mandy Rose is safe. And considering the circumstances, you know, I thought they did a fine job, but, it was, in my opinion, the low point on the card. But we do have two more two more matches to talk about. And I don't think either of them necessarily were great, but they were solid. The Raw Tag Team Championship, Street Profits defending successfully against Andrade and Angel Garza. I don't have much to say about this match, but I was definitely surprised not to see a title change. Considering the lack of tag teams across both brands right now, I would have at least made the change to keep the division feeling somewhat fresh. How many other people are there? How many other tag teams are there that can beat the Street Profits that they haven't already beaten? The answer is basically none at this point. Maybe her business if they decide to put a tag team together. But other than them, there's no, no one else left at this point. Uh, Montez Ford was great early in the match with that frog splash crossbody. And Angela Dawkins put in work after the hot tag 
But after that, nothing really happened. And it was another finish aided by a distraction or interference. And I felt that was unnecessary for a match like this, where you have pretty strong champions who can just go over clean. If we were grading, we give extra credit for Montez Ford's incredible 180 degree frog splash. But ultimately, it was a title retention on a big show where I thought they probably should have done a title change. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect a title change here, but you're right that I don't really know where things are going. The Viking Raiders aren't really, they're doing raw underground stuff now. Um, but I, I thought the match was fine. Montez Ford, again, I keep saying it, they need to show his big off the top rope moves on the hard cam on the first try, not on the replay. Cause that's where you yep. really get the feel for it. He, he almost overshot that thing too. He, he almost over rotated and landed on his, on his chest first, uh, but still uh, unbelievable at athleticism. I think street profits are great. I love them. It's a tag team. We just really need to get them some competition. And based on how that match ended, it feels like once again, there could be some breaking up in Zelina Vegas group here. Very possible. I can definitely see that happening. Uh, SummerSlam opened with the United States Championship, Apollo Crews defending against MVP on the kickoff show. I ended up surprised to see this on the kickoff show, but it ultimately, I, I don't think it was the right match to be on there. I probably, in retrospect, would have put the tag team title match on there. But, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. I, you know, really thought we were going to get a title change here. I figured it would make sense. I guess the decision is for them to have Cruz beat MVP clean and now elevate someone else in Hurt Business to now be the next contender, Lashley being the one who makes the most sense. And Lashley certainly would have to take the title off Apollo Cruz. I was also surprised to see the change in MVP's entrance music, which is one of my favorites ever. Hopefully this is a Hurt Business theme and not specifically for MVP. It was pretty so good ultimately. So I saw on Twitter that that was one of the themes that MVP made himself way back when. And I, I think either when he first debuted or, or right before he left. So uh, I, I was not familiar with it, but I saw some people on Twitter saying it was an MVP theme from back in the day. Maybe it's a hurt business theme moving forward. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. But uh, I just wanted to throw that but his, out there. But his theme's an all timer. I mean, you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you I'm okay with that being a Hurt Business theme, but that was a solo match. You have to hear MVP. I, I thought, dude, I thought they might do some like augmented reality. Remember the blow up uh, thing that he used to walk through on the ramp? I thought they might do some augmented reality of that. And like they, the entrance took a while to start. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to do something really cool for MVP. And then it was different music. And I was like, oh no, don't, don't do this to me. Yeah, I, I was um, I, I was a little confused at first too because I love, I think MVP's name, like you said, it's it's an all-time. It was it was a little um, different. But yeah, I, I was kind of let down. First, this happens on the kickoff show. Everybody's waiting for the Cedric Alexander situation that everybody kind of fantasy books, and then that didn't happen. So at, in the end, I was kind of we were all kind of surprised they went back to this anyway, and then to, at the last minute to kind of do what they ended up doing, um, kind of a letdown for the whole thing. And I, I guess we'll see what they do moving forward. Yeah, it's just why do you have this on extreme rules and then and then book it for the next pay-per-view and not change the title at that point like they just gave us the same match that we basically already had or maybe it wasn't even um on extreme rules maybe it was on a raw and then retribution the lights flash that's what happened but so why do the match again when you could have just given it to shelton shelton beat him clean you could have had shelton yep. challenge you could have done anything yep. else so 
That that said, though, the match itself exceeded my expectations in terms of the work the guys put in. There's no hate really in Cruz retaining, but it made the fact that there was a rematch and then no Cedric Alexander involvement, as you said. It just made the whole field seem worthless. Maybe they pull the trigger on that Monday. Maybe MVP goes after him again and, and they set up a match with Shelton. And maybe in that situation, you know, Cedric gets involved and then they merge the U.S. title with the 24-7 title. I don't know. There's other chances and there's other situations where Cedric can still get involved. Not sure. I'm going to keep an open mind. But ultimately, while it was a good match, it just was like, why'd you end up doing it? Like you could have, there were so many other matches they legitimately could have put on this card that they just decided not to. And for that to be one of them, I thought it was a bit, uh, you know, not that worthwhile. Now, that said, that's our full instant analysis of SummerSlam. Before we get to NXT TakeOver 30, let's do a quick letter grade for the show. Now, looking at the respondents to our poll on Twitter, what did I say? Something like, 86% ahead of the show thought it would be an A or a B, right? Something like that. Well, coming out of the show, our poll is now officially closed. 90% of respondents thought the show was an A or a B with 31% saying it was an A. And I think when you talk about a WWE pay-per-view for one third of the people watching to say it's an A show, that is a massive success. People, W, no matter what you graded it personally, the hive mind about WWE is let's find things to criticize about the product. Yep. Let's be as hard as we possibly can be on them and not generally give them credit for doing good things. So for 31%, which is our poll, um, to say that it was an A and then 59% to say it was a B, no matter what you think, that has to be a massive success. Chris, what was your grade for the show? My grade is a B plus. I enjoyed it top to bottom. I didn't I wasn't blown away by anything until I guess Roman at the end, but I didn't hate anything either. So I I think it's a solid B plus. I'm not pushing it into that A range because there wasn't a ton of like, whoa, awesome moments. There were a couple of moments that popped me a little bit, especially at the end. But uh, I go B plus. I'm I'm right there with you. I will go slightly higher. I will go with the A minus between the women's matches, the WWE Championship, the Universal Championship, the surprise end of pay-per-view moment, which you always want for a major show, and Dominic Mysterio's debut and the match with Seth Rollins that I thought was expertly booked. That all is enough for me to say, hey, you're going to break that B plus barrier and get into the A minus range. Now, if you averaged my grades for all the matches, you would not get an A minus. But when you talk about entertainment value of the show, effort put in, ability to deliver on promises, you won't see this coming or, you know, whatever that the hell that tagline was. And by the way, Vince did say it on uh, SmackDown. I definitely should have grabbed it now that I'm thinking about it for the soundboard. Huge failure on my part. <laughs> uh, but But when you take all of that into account, they delivered on the tagline, they delivered on the big match promises. They gave us clean finishes for the most part. That's an that's in an A minus B plus range, and I'm going to give them that A minus. And I'm very very excited to see what WWE does to capitalize on this momentum Monday night on Raw and this upcoming Friday night on SmackDown. You know what really you know what pushed it into the A range for me. I saw some people 
uh, fantasy booked this as it was happening on on, uh, on on Twitter. Roman comes out, knocks out the fiend, and then I know you would have loved this too. And then Otis cashes in. Can you imagine? <laughs> I would have hated happened? it. I would have hated uh, it. You so would have loved it. No, you loved it. Oh my god, I would have. Alas, dude. Alas, it's he's still floating out there. Who knows when that'll this happen? This podcast would have been so different. <laughs> so different if Otis cashed in. I may I may have lost my <laughs> honestly. That, that, that's taking an incredible moment and just a laundry blazing, just dropping it in the trash. That Before, that would that would have been peak like 2000 WCW finish right there. Oh, my God, kill me, kill me oh, if anyone. Oh well, if anyone even you know, what, you know what? If anyone even proposed that in the creative meetings, they should be fired. That that's how I feel. So that was SummerSlam, B plus, A minus, doesn't matter. Great show, great effort from WWE on Saturday night. Let's move over into instant analysis of NXT TakeOver 30. Now look, let's kind of tell everyone where the perspective that you come from watching NXT. Tell me if I'm wrong when I say this. Used to watch NXT frequently, don't as much anymore, not a normal weekly viewer, but do you watch every TakeOver? Yes, I watch every takeover have since probably the beginning. I actually watched I watched it periodically quite, you know, every other week, maybe when it was the only thing on Wednesday. But once AEW started, that kind of took up my Wednesdays and I don't have the bandwidth for another one. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, still watch all the takeovers. I every once in a while we we'll read a review to see things. right. But I actually came into this show pretty blind to a lot of it other than the Adam Cole, Pat McAfee, Little Feud. Gotcha. All right, so when we break this down, I mean, look, I, I generally do a lot of the, the talking at the beginning of the matches anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll lead as much as I can. Chris, you fill in you know, what you think when appropriate, and I'll definitely take pauses in between to kind of get you involved here. So let's start with the main event. Uh, Keith Lee defending his NXT championship against Karrion Cross, And there's two matches on this show that I really have a lot to say about. One is this, the other is the North American Championship ladder match. For this one, look, we all knew what was coming before this match started. That's what I wanted to see, Chris. Big meaty men slapping meat. And ultimately, you can say what you will about the rest of the match and we'll talk about it. That's what we got here. Yep, It, it felt like a big deal. You know, NXT is often full of little guys or medium-sized guys. And so when you see two big guys in an NXT ring going at it, it stands out even more. And not only just two big guys, but two big guys who can move and do a lot of things. And it was a lot of big meat slapping. It's all about that meat-on-meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I'm delicate. There was nothing gentle or delicate about this match, these guys not only delivered big meaty men slapping meat, but they did so with high energy and intensity. This was the largest by size title match in NXT history. And it is not often that for world titles these days in wrestling, you get true heavyweight wrestling. And you saw it Sunday night at SummerSlam, Braun Strowman versus The Fiend, that is heavyweight wrestling. And you saw it in the main event of NXT TakeOver 30. The video package for this, I mentioned it in the Ultimate Preview. Loved it, man. Absolutely incredible. I'm so happy they aired it again before the match. But if that didn't tell you 
that this was going to be high energy intense and a lot of slamming, that incredible lift up power bomb by Lee early in the match did the trick. The pace that these guys worked as heavyweights was ridiculous for a while. And Lee definitely got winded at some point after that around the world slam. Cross being unable in storytelling to lift Lee for the Doomsday Saito was smart booking because it showed that Cross was getting frustrated. And I liked that he knew he need to, needed to do more to take down Lee. You saw it when he ran the ropes. He hit the ropes three times for that lariat and finally got Lee on his back. The crowd at the Full Sail University was exceptional here, bang, banging on the plexiglass, and it really benefited the overall atmosphere and nature of this match. And it also set up the finish nicely. Cross finally hit the Doomsday Saito, but Lee kicked out at like 2.8. And then you had him put the cross jacket, him being carrying cross, put the cross jacket on Lee. You saw him lift his arm up at two, you know, like right, right before it hit uh, the canvas. And WWE does not do that anymore for submission knockouts. They tap the arm. They see if it moves. Yeah. If it doesn't, if it doesn't move, they call the match. So the fact that they went back to that for me was a really nice touch because it said, yeah. it said, it said Keith Lee, Hey, this guy almost got tapped out, but this is how strong he is. Yeah. We, we talked about that a few weeks back. I kind of went on a mini rant about why they don't do that anymore. It's, it's easy storytelling and it, it, it's exactly why. Absolutely. Now the finish for this felt a bit anticlimactic and a bit sloppy to me as well. Unfortunately, you had cross kicking out at two on the spirit bomb. It was necessary. He did that, but he kind of wiggled out of it. And then it was clear what the finish would be after that. But they took forever to get to the top rope. And Lee had to verbally tell cross like what to do in order to successfully hit the move. Now we later learned after the match was over that cross legitimately separated his shoulder. And when you see that, or when you know that, the sloppiness makes more sense because this guy is not just working a wrestling match with a separated shoulder. He's working against like a 350 pound colossal man in Keith Lee and trying to lift him with a separated shoulder. So, you know, that's acceptable when you consider the circumstances. Ultimately, though, I cannot get past and I've tried to rationalize it that this was the wrong booking decision. Um, and despite that being the wrong booking decision, which maybe I'll get into a little bit, Chris, the show ending visual of Cross standing, holding the title in the air, Scarlet below him, the fire behind them. That was an incredible visual. I mean, talk about the ending shot for pay-per-view graphics and those things that you'll always remember. That's one of the ones I'll always remember. Yeah, I, I, I love their entrance. I was not familiar with uh, him much coming in. I just saw his name. I didn't really know much about mm-hmm. him. I have not watched Karrion uh, Cross much in NXT, but he's got a real like superhero villain vibe yes. about him. Yes. And and I it, that that just it added to this match because Keith Lee is this big guy's like the Hulk. He's the, he's never really gone up someone who's just as big and strong as him, except for a Brock Lesnar here, a couple of crossovers on the main roster here and there. So to see that in NXT where he's usually the biggest guy there is. So it, it felt like, whoa, there's someone serious here who can take this guy on. And it felt like Keith Lee had to adapt as that match was going on because his normal stuff wasn't working in this situation. I also didn't like the finish. Obviously didn't know at the time what the situation was. I don't know what Karrion Cross's finish was is, uh, but he is, just well, when, I'll just I'll quickly interrupt you so that you yeah. can give your opinion. Yeah. 
He has two. One is the Doomsday Saito that he hit, Lee kicked out, and then he hit it from the top rope. So he's never hit it from the top rope before. So that was the... It was like the super, it was like the super AA when John Cena hits it from the top rope. Yeah. He can't beat the person. Otherwise, that's one. The other is the cross jacket submission where he almost submitted him. So those so, are the yeah. two. Just like see, seeing some of the stuff that Dijakovic and Keith Lee did off the top rope, you know, and Keith Lee surviving it and then seeing him just kind of that weird finish in him, that right. being what finished him. It just, it felt weird in the moment. Obviously, we know it might have been a little bit different, but that, that just kind of took away a little bit. But love the whole gimmick scarlet bordeaux with with the the gloves add a lot to her character <laughs> she adds I'm a lot to, say, the, to the match well, i'm just i'm just gonna say like i'm just i'm just saying like her her look the black gloves for whatever reason it gives off a huge like catwoman vibe oh yeah and i, I just i think that add just that little thing i don't know why just it, it stuck out to me as something that really kind of added on to it um I loved when Karrion Cross didn't like kick out of the spirit bomb. He just rolled out of it. And Keith Lee's face was like, what just happened? I loved that moment because that that was a that was like a WTF moment for Keith Lee realizing that this guy, he didn't need to kick out of the move. He just he just brushed it off and rolled out of the move. I, I don't I guess I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I, I, I love that moment and the way Keith Lee reacted to it added a lot uh added a lot to Karen Cross to me in that match and then the visual at the end with the fire and everything and and I like their entrance and, and I like that whole deal I was fine with him winning and we'll get to why in a minute but um I also like Karen Cross's entrance and that's something you wouldn't be able to do with a crowd Scarlett Bordeaux like giving off that speech type thing with the with the music and the, mm-hmm. the narration playing in the background. You probably can't do that when there's a crowd there. So I, I thought that was a unique way to take take advantage of the situation uh, at hand. I would have loved to see this feud go a little bit longer, but doesn't appear that's the case. Just and so the you carry, know, the carrying cross era has begun. Yeah, just so you know, that is their typical entrance. So they do do that, oh. um, and and it is incredible. Like they that that to me, I've said it before. In fact, I interviewed Carrying Cross, and I told him. And he kind of agreed with me. That is the entrance Triple H would give himself if he was wrestling today. Yep. And yep. And, and that's what you're seeing. And there's something going on with NXT, folks. And you guys know on this podcast, we've talked about Io Shirai in the black leather pants. And now we have uh, our friend Scarlet in the Catwoman outfit. That's the most action I've had all year. And we'll just leave it at that. So in terms of the booking, in terms of this, the decision making, Cross was booked strong enough in this match where he could have lost and been 100% okay. I'm not sure where the main event picture in NXT goes from here. It is exceptionally thin in terms of legitimate competitors. Lee, meanwhile, comes out of this with the second shortest reign in NXT history. The shortest was Samoa Joe, who only held the title for a couple of weeks, but that was his second reign. So in terms of a first-time title reign, Keith Lee has the shortest in NXT history. And he kind of comes out of it looking like a chump because he became the first double champion in a huge moment. He gives up the North American Championship and then loses the World Championship all within a month. So you have this guy in Keith Lee who is an absolute beast, who should have been a pillar of NXT. And he ends up being a transitional champion. 
when he should have had a longer reign. I don't mind the idea of Karrion Cross taking down Keith Lee. What I would have much preferred is if you have Keith Lee beat Karrion Cross here, you schedule a takeover or a main event of NXT for six weeks, you know, eight, eight weeks even from now. You have a rematch and you have Karrion Cross beat Keith Lee. Then you have Lee has a title defense, he gets over on Cross, he has a 60 day, maybe 75 day, maybe even 90 day title reign, and then he still loses to Cross. That's what I would have done. Now, we know the reason why. We'll get to that in a moment. To play devil's advocate on the position I just gave you, if they wanted Cross to be champion, they couldn't have necessarily had him beat Adam Cole. And Lee has run out of competitors in NXT if we are being fair. But again, I would have just had Lee defend it and then lost in a rematch on TV a couple weeks or months later. Now, we know why Lee lost the NXT championship, and it's because he is getting called up to the main roster. He will be debuting on Raw this Monday night. And that's a good thing, Chris, because there was nothing left for him to do NXT after that. I just come out of this, and I'll end it on this, and we'll move on to the next match. I come out of this feeling as great as Keith Lee is, as much as fans love him, as good of a job as he's done on the main roster. And if you listen to my interview with Keith Lee from this past week, I interviewed him on Thursday. It's on the archive page for the show. He talks about going head-to-head with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. He did that. He also, by the way, went face-to-face with Drew McIntyre, who's the champion of the show. He's now uh, joining, and he hit him with a spirit bomb in an NXT ring. So he's done plenty. But it just kind of feels like when you have these guys in NXT, you want to treat them like your little babies and you want them to have awesome success. And it kind of feels like Keith Lee didn't get the chance to shine in NXT that everyone wanted for him. He, uh, whenever I saw him, he always felt like a big fish in a small pond. And yes. it, it, to, to yeah. me, it just felt like, all right, we know he's the real deal in every aspect. This guy should be a main eventer on the main roster. Like now let's make that happen. And it, it was kind of the same feeling when Drew McIntyre was the NXT champion. You know, he, he held that for three months and then that was it. And then he was pretty much up to the main roster from there. That was a, a short NXT. Well, Drew, just, just don't forget Drew, Drew really badly hurt. Like his shoulder. That's true. That's yeah. true. Well, but he lost the title also, so. but he lost it anyway. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah so just a, a guy who's just physically, literally bigger than everybody else. And a guy just, you feel like he's destined for bigger things. And I don't watch NXT every week, so I don't have that same connection to him there. But I absolutely love this dude. And I really, he's the kind of guy, you know, Vince is going to have big plans for based on everything they've done with him at Survivor Series at Royal Rumble. And I'm ready for him to get to Raw and for him to get near the top hopefully right off the bat, because this guy is, this is, I think this is a face of the company type guy. He is, he is. And Raw needs, needs that injection of talent. You saw SmackDown get it with Matt Riddle. Raw did not get an equal piece. And now they do. Now they got that piece in Keith Lee. So very excited for him. Massive, massive Keith Lee fan. You just, you kind of want that last moment to be booked well. And I, I just kind of ultimately felt like a little bit of a disservice was done here. Now, let's move on. There's way more from NXT TakeOver 30 to talk about, including Adam Cole defeating Pat McAfee in a featured match. The start of this match was fun as hell. You had McAfee with the 
backstage promo. That was fantastic. As was the moment where it looked like he had scouted Cole early in the match, only to then be surprised. Then he climbs up onto the top rope and hits that ridiculous senton off the top rope to the outside where there's like, yeah, granted, there were 50 people there to catch him, but he still did it, right? And then McAfee got a really good run of offense to show he was more than capable of doing this. It was in that moment where I said, we have upon ourselves a great match. And not just (laughs) that, like Pat McAfee's the real deal. He can actually do this. So what happens after that? McAfee does a flip off the middle rope and then box jumps clean. I mean, I guess he ran a little bit, but from the ring, from the, the, the canvas to the top rope and hits a superplex on Adam Cole. Then after that, we saw some really smart booking with Cole's head kind of dangling out of the ring, McAfee missing him and punting the steps, hurting his foot. Cole then capitalizing on that with the knee strike and using the figure four leg lock. As a heel, I loved that they eventually went with the low blow followed by a lariat and the punt kick. Obviously the punt kick from McAfee landed on Cole's chest and not the head, which made the kick out reasonable because we just saw him get kicked in the head and he was out, right? He was out cold and Triple H and HBK went nuts when that happened. And this was not a no disqualification match. And it, if he did get punt kicked in the head, you wouldn't buy that he wouldn't end up winning the match. Eventually you, you would assume McAfee would end up winning. So I love the way that they booked that entire thing. The touchback is a great name for a football player's finisher. And then we get the finish, dude. And I thought it was fantastic with Cole going over as he obviously had to against McAfee. I love that he gave up the idea of doing the last shot because he wanted to shut his mouth. So instead, Mm -hmm. he hits the Panama sunrise and bashes his head into the canvas, literally shutting his mouth. McAfee 100% deserved to be there. Cole made that match work. He is truly one of the best wrestlers in the world. Great build, great finish, great match. Wow. Wow, wow, Pat McAfee has it. That may be the greatest wrestling debut for a celebrity athlete or just celebrity, period. And it comes down to this guy loves wrestling. He he, he loves giving the promos. You could tell he just... I, you can tell he just did the moves. He would do the moves himself, just running around his house, I'm sure. Uh, kind of like when you pretend you're playing basketball just against air or whatever. This guy loves this, and he put the effort into it. And you ha- even if you didn't like this feud, even if you get annoyed when these types of things happen, you have to appreciate the fact that he really likes doing this. I like him when he's on commentary doing pre-shows or whatever. I, I-, I like him on college football because – his just his joy for what he's doing always comes through. And frankly, we don't get that nearly enough in any types of commentary, wherever it is. So he looks like a natural high flyer. That senton he did off the top rope to the outside, he floated. That wasn't like a jump and turn in the air and just land on your butt and who knows what happens. He timed that thing perfectly. In terms of he went up and then he tucked his head and then it was a perfect float. Then he does the backflip, lands on his feet. Uh, I did not expect a a punter to have that type of high-flying ability. Now, unlike Dominic Mysterio, I don't think he's going to be a permanent long-term wrestler here. Obviously, he is 
he, he's not old, but you know, he, he he's older. He has his, his own radio show things. He does. He's got plenty of other ventures, but I, I think we'll probably see more and more of him. And I would love to, because that was just frankly incredible and did not see that coming. I had very, very low expectations for this match for one thing. And Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee being a great high flyer is not what I expected coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just his overall athleticism surprised me. I mean, yes, he was an NFL player and an athlete. Of course, those guys are athletic. But you don't think of an NFL punter being able to box jump from a canvas to a top rope and do high-flying maneuvers. Not that they can't do it. You just don't expect it. I don't look at, you know, Steven Goskowski as a kicker. Or, or some, you know, of these other legendary punters and say, oh, yeah, I can see that guy wrestling and doing a great job. So there's a lot to, to put into context here. Number one, he has a wrestling ring at his house and he has actually trained. I believe he trained with Rip Rogers. So this is not someone who went into this cold. At the same time, I was trying to think about, was this the greatest celebrity debut ever? And the only comparison that I can come up with is Ronda Rousey. The difference between Ronda Rousey and Pat is as follows. Ronda Rousey came into wrestling from another combat sport where many of the moves, not just in that combat sport, but also she has a judo background. And a lot of her moveset and things that she had done took elements of MMA and judo. So all she really had to do And she already had charisma and stuff. So all she really had to do was figure out how to not actually hurt people and do them with a little bit more flair. Pat was an NFL player who did not transition into this immediately from playing. You know, he just kind of decided to make this his first chance. Mm -hmm. So I've given it a lot of thought. Yes, I think this is the greatest debut for a celebrity wrestler in in history of wrestling, period. Like, full stop. Because he was so good. And it was a singles match. It wasn't a tag team match with Kurt Angle, Triple H, and Stephanie, people that have been in this their entire lives. Now, Cole has. Cole's been wrestling his whole life. But it was one-on-one. There was no one to help him. Yeah. And and, and Ronda, you know, her celebrity was her fighting ability, you know, for for one. That was was kind of it. Pat McAfee coming in is, is completely different. You know, I, I did not see a supposed match with D'Angelo Williams a number of years back. I heard that was very was good. good. He was good. I have, to admit, I have to admit, I did not see that. I'm not familiar with it. But when you think of stuff like like Mayweather or Bam Bam Bigelow or I'm uh, not Bam, I mean, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Thomas, Taylor. Uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor. Um, excuse, come Taylor. on. I will, Lawrence Thomas played at Michigan State. That's why I got that mixed up. And okay, yeah, you should, never, you should never confuse Lawrence Thomas with Lawrence Taylor. Please. I'm just saying that he was a five-star recruit playing defensive tackle. It's not that dissimilar in theory. But I get your point. LT is a different <laughs> level. You don't think I'm that's going to say. I'm just going to say I, I wrote about Lawrence Thomas a bunch. That's why it came to mind. Fine. It, you know, you, you think of some of these other celebrities, you know, Rob Gronkowski type of things. Uh I just, I don't think anything else compared to this. I just I put Ron in a different, a different category. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was uh, surprisingly uh, very fun. And consider the length of the match and the things yeah, six, that, sixteen minutes sixteen and, minute match and the things that they did within the confines of the match that were very wrestling. It wasn't brawling and things like that. He wrestled. It was just man. It was really impressive and good for him. You know he 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 proved that he deserved the opportunity. 
Triple H said on a takeover conference call after it was over that Pat wants to do this. Now, not that doesn't mean he'd be a full-time wrestler, but a couple matches a year, maybe a match every other year, whatever the case, he wants to wrestle in NXT and WWE. He told Paul Levesque he wants to be a WWE Hall of Famer and he wants Triple H to be the one to induct him. So if those are his goals, guess what? I am all for it. What did he prove over the last few weeks? He can cut ridiculously good promos better than half the roster. And they gave him the ability to, to be flexible and cut him on his own, you know, not script them, but absolutely killed it on promos and then way exceeded expectations in the ring. That is a person I want to see wrestle more. I am all in on Pat McAfee. Good for him for showing out in that way. All right, let's move on. Women's championship, Io Shirai successfully defending against Dakota Kai. There's not much in the way of specifics to point out about the first half of this match, other than it was extremely fast-paced, filled with great action, and you believed that either Shirai or Kai could ultimately win. That hanging GTK with Shirai on the top rope was a really well-placed move, and they were successful in pacing it so that the referee was in the right spot to eat the boot that knocked him out. I was really pleased to see Raquel Gonzalez get involved uh, and Shirai kick out at 2.9 after that ridiculous like chokeslam powerbomb that Gonzalez does. It made Gonzalez look really strong and Shirai kicking out of that made her look really strong. As did the finish where she hit the moonsault outside, then dragged Dakota Kai inside, hit the moonsault again and got the win. So a big win for the somewhat new women's champion in Neo Shirai. Dakota Kai didn't necessarily get hurt by it. And then coming out of it, you have everything, everyone looking good. Io Shirai is a hard-fought champion. Gonzalez has our first official challenger in Rhea Ripley. Slightly weird because Rhea is still feuding with Mercedes Martinez, so I don't know how they're going to figure that out. And Dakota Kai looked incredibly strong despite losing. Really good booking for a women's match. Really excited about the future of the division. Yeah, I didn't have many thoughts here other than Io Shirai continues to look like an incredible her wrestler, her final moonsault felt like Lita-ish and that you weren't sure if she was going to fully get that rotate because there's not much air under it. But mm-hmm. uh, match was fine. I don't really have any feelings on Dakota Kai. Raquel Gonzalez looks like Sonya Deville's twin. I think you've said that before. I'm sure other people have Ra- as well. Raquel Gonzalez is what they wish Nia Jax was. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with I'm, I'm just I'm not familiar with her, but that, that was my thought. And then seeing her and Rhea Ripley face to face look like, a, you know, the women's version essentially of a hoss fight. And uh, looking forward to that whenever that happens. Now, we also had the North American Championship ladder match, a five way Damian Priest coming out on top, beating Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Cameron Grimes and Velveteen Dream to win the vacated title. There is a ton to talk about from this match. I, I My notes for this are longer than any other match on this entire card. So I'm going to try to, 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 to consolidate it best I can. I love the homages with the entrances. You had Damian Priest dressed like a split between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. Considering it was a ladder match, that was very cool. You had Bronson Reed coming out and he was repackaged as Colossal instead of Thick Boy. And Thick Boy is a good gimmick. You know what? I mean, it's funny. But Colossal's a really good gimmick. So I like that they did that. New music, really cool for Bronson Reed. And he wore Bam Bam Bigelow gear, which was awesome. And then you had Velveteen Dream, who it looked like he kind of had a little bit of Scott Steiner with the headgear and with the painted goatee. So that was interesting. The match started with some fun. Normally, I don't like Chris. You tell me what you think. I don't like when wrestlers break in the middle of a match 
like for a joke or funny spots. And AEW does this frequently, but Grimes getting like one leg on each side of the ladder and ending up doing the split. And at the other spot where he pulls out the step ladder from under the ring and looks at it like, what the hell is this? Why is this here? Um, they also engineered a super duper plex with all five guys in the corner. It's overdone, but whatever. But the comedy stuff I generally don't like in a serious match setting. But Cameron Grimes, for me, it kind of popped me with him because he sold it really well. He's just so despicable and so yeah. annoying and carny that you're just like, you know what? He deserves it, you know? Yeah, it, it fits with his character. I thought the stepladder thing was kind of funny for what it was. The, the splits thing, uh, I was actually let down because I figured that's when you kind of go for a low blow and yes, allowed in this match and it would have been the clearest yeah. opportunity to do it and they just didn't do it so it felt like a missed opportunity. But yeah, I mean, that's his character. He's, he looks like a carny type of guy so it, it kind of fits for him, I think. I, I didn't... I, I agree AEW does it way too much, but I think it, I think for Cameron, Cameron Grimes' character, who I was not familiar with, it, it seemed to it seemed to work. Yeah, specifically for him, I was okay with it. But most of the time, I'm not a huge fan. Now, in a lot of ladder matches, there are extended stretches where they're outside the ring, they're doing spots, and they forget about the title. But that did not happen in this match. This was a constant race up the ladder with nonstop action. It was almost frenetic to a point that until we saw the ridiculous Spanish fly crossbody with Gargano and, and Grimes outside the ring, then we saw the, the Bronson Reed Tope Suicida. Even then, after those two moves, they only paused for a second because very quickly after that, you have Damian Priest in the ring running up the ladder and splashing everyone outside. I just thought, this match was the wrestling equivalent. And I don't know if you've seen this movie of Uncut Gems. Have you seen that movie or no? I have seen that movie. Okay. So that movie, for me, I've never experienced a movie before where my heart feels like it's racing out of its chest the entire movie until the like the final scene. And then you take a breath and you're like, okay, this thing's over. Like I was on edge the entire time I was watching Uncut Gems. And I felt the same way here. I was on edge the entire time I was watching this match, not just out of anticipation for what was next, but because the action never stopped. So I just felt like my brain was going on like a million miles an hour. Yeah, it, it was high. It was a lot. It was only 21 minutes for, for a five man ladder match. So it was uh, crazy. They, they packed a lot. They packed a lot in there. Um, I, I thought that, uh, that Spanish fly on the out, I guess it was Spanish fly on the outside with, I think it was Gargano and priest, uh, was ridiculous. Um, and Grimes, Gargano and Grimes. Yeah. That was Gargano and Grimes. I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. uh, I, I liked speaking of going up the ladder, the camera work went, when, uh, when Damien priest came up from behind, uh, Velveteen dream, uh, when, when dream thought he was getting the, the, the belt there. So, uh, the, the, the the Gargano powerbomb, the the like twisting onto the other ladder powerbomb onto another ladder, that could have been real bad because they I don't know if they were supposed to land straight on the ladder or oh, they what. were no they were they, they clipped the ladder because of the momentum they were having and I kind of I I was freaked out for a minute there when, when that happened despite how good that match was 
And like, we should also give credit, by the way, because with a lot of focus on like intergender wrestling these days, it was cool to see Candice LeRae get in there. Um, not just pulling Grimes off the ladder, but the, the tope, not tope, the uh, the tightrope her Karana she did to the outside. Then she the, jumped on Reed's back and he did that splash yeah, from the top was, of, bro, of the ladder cool. onto Gargano and, and Candice is on his back and bounces off of him. That was crazy. But once that move happened, to your point, what you just said, it was really unfortunate the rest of the match because they botched legitimately a number of key moves towards the finish. Grimes missed on the cave-in. He got like one foot and barely stemped on his chest. Gargano, as you just pointed out, missed the sunset flip powerbomb. He hit the side of the ladder where they needed to go right in the middle of it. That was really unfortunate. Dream missed a super kick, like whiffed on a super kick on the ring yeah. apron in that stretch. And then Reed was clearly supposed to go through a ladder with that choke slam, but the ladder didn't break. The director then missed that insane dive that Dream took off the ladder, over the barricade, all the way to the outside. He got the wrong shot. And then they replayed it, but they replayed it during another key spot in the finish. So you were distracted. So unfortunately, that moment, uh, th that sequence, I should say, that lasted about two minutes, it really pulled away from the greatness of the match because there were just so many mistakes all in a very short period of time. But the actual finish with Priest on Gargano wrestling for the title and Priest prying it away, that was great. I was worried they'd let it fall to the canvas again like they did, I think, with John Morrison, maybe at WrestleMania. And they did something, I think, somewhat similar during Money in the Bank, if memory serves. I don't really remember. Oh, yeah, the briefcase fell off and I think Otis caught it, right? I was really worried they were going to do that same thing a third time. Uh, they didn't do it. So Priest ends up standing tall with the title. They did the, the spot at the, you know, a couple matches later where he's in the hot tub. He gets into the hot tub wearing leather pants and <laughs> celebrating. And they're celebrating. He pulls up in a Hummer limo, but they're drinking Corbell. I mean, it was just really funny, good stuff. Um, so now that I'm breaking down the entire match, I guess... The sloppiness was a small price to pay, but you know, you got to call it like you see it. And unfortunately I did think it took away from the greatness of the match towards the finish there. So one other question I have as someone who hasn't been watching week to week has, has Johnny Gargano kind of lost his moment. I was surprised to see him in this match. I, I, I guess it made sense, but it felt like, you know, after the great year he had great couple of years with, with all the Ciampa stuff um, for him to be back into the spot felt like not a demotion, but he's maybe not where he should be. I don't know where he should be, though, because he's a unique kind of guy. But I'm not again, I'm not familiar with everything. But but that was my reaction when I saw him. What, what's up with him? No, it's a good question. I mean, so the, the, the traditional history of NXT is you become champion, you lose the title, you go to the main roster. Right. But they're not doing that anymore because obviously they now have three brands and they're competing with Dynamite. The other thing is while Bobby Roode and Shinsuke Nakamura and Finn Balor and Samoa Joe, all those guys had to go to the main roster. Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, guys like that, Ciampa, I should say, they probably shouldn't go to the main roster. They're probably better off in NXT long term. So if you're going to have those people there, you need to transition them in and out. I mean, look, we've had John Cena, you know, have 15 world titles under his name and then become U.S. champion. Same thing with Daniel Bryan. So I think that's the situation now that Gargano and Ciampa are in where they had their time in the main event picture. 
And you have to remember when you're evaluating that, it got started and stopped due to injuries. Yeah. Champa got injured. Alistair Black got injured while he was champion. Uh, you know, they had to change bookings. They were not able to tell that story the way they planned on telling it. Then you had Adam Cole get involved. He had a, you know, five and a half star match for Gargano. So they had to do another one. So there was just, and, and it wasn't really their fault. It was not the, the booking fault of NXT, but so much stuff happened. And Gargano was in the main event picture for such a long time. He got his moment. He won the title. He went over as a big face, but they had to figure out other stuff for him to do. Ultimately, he turned heel um, and he beat Tommaso Ciampa in that uh, match, that cinematic type of match they had. I believe, if memory serves, it was supposed to be a takeover at WrestleMania. They ended up doing it on a TV yeah. show the week yeah. after or whatever. Um, so now he's a heel and the focus is a little bit more on Candice's wife than it's on him. So he's competing in the in the mid card, and I think that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. I, I guess I I I I think a way you know he, he's his character is just naturally kind of an underdog type of character, it's just kind of based on how small he is, his background, whatever. So I I I think you could have done something like throw him up on the main roster for six months to a year, then he comes back as like in like the Finn Balor type of way because if he NXT. By being two hours once a week, it's it's a small universe, and I feel like the windows there are not very large. And and once that's done, you got to really change it up. Um, and 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 maybe I don't watch NXT. Maybe everybody loves what he's doing. I don't know. But I, I was just I saw him there, and I'm like, I feel like this guy should be. It just I felt like this guy should be somewhere else right now, and he just isn't. It's tough. It's tough to move from the, the main event where you're so dominant and people are not dominant, where you're so prominently featured and people are rooting for you so hard and go into this situation. But what it is, is that, you know, they've been there for a while. Candace has been there for a while. She really hasn't had opportunities. So what they're doing is a husband and wife thing where they're heels and he's primarily putting the focus on her or at least more so than it was more, more 50, 50 than like the 85, 15 that it was before. So because of that, he is in a situation where he doesn't need to win a title. He doesn't need to be strongly pushed as long as he ultimately is able to help Candace. And I do think when you look at the women's title picture, I think Candace is about to get her opportunity. So it should all pay out sooner, sooner than later. But you mentioned gotcha. Finn Balor. So let's talk Finn Balor. Finn Balor defeats Timothy Thatcher. And I thought this was going to be too slow of a match when it was announced as the opener. And it definitely started that way. But what we ended up getting was a technical showpiece. Thatcher really is a beast, and he's an incredible technical wrestler. Balor is obviously great on his own, in his own right, and he was able to stick with Thatcher the entire time. I thought they had some great storytelling in the match as well, with Balor injuring his knee early, re-injuring it by missing the coup de grace, Thatcher working on it with multiple submissions and making it look like we would actually get an upset in this match. Ultimately, Balor was able to counter everything Thatcher threw at him, hit the coup de grace, and even though he hobbled up after that, still managed to hit the 1916 for the win. It was a big victory for Balor, and in my opinion, it sets him up for the main event picture. I, I thought that would be the case if Keith Lee retained the title. You have a face Lee, a heel Balor. That ended up not happening. Cross is now the champion. Balor is a tweener, probably more on the face side, but now you have Karrion Cross. 
are you really wanting to take Finn Balor, who is now your strongest tweener slash face in the main event scene with Keith Lee gone? And do you want to put him right up against Karrion Cross? I don't know. The other thing we have to consider, of course, is we don't know when Karrion Cross will be healthy and able to compete, considering a separated shoulder that could potentially need surgery that would keep him out longer than a period of time that they might be able to stand. So I don't really know. In fact, coming out of TakeOver as a whole, the main event picture in NXT is pretty messy. Yeah, I, that was another reaction I had looking at this card. It was just, obviously, the you know, they, they only have NXT, not the UK stuff. The, the, the roster is a bit different, but it just it felt very thin. And for this being TakeOver 30, kind of a celebration of everything, it, it, it felt noticeable. This is maybe the first TakeOver in a while, maybe ever, that, that I was like, oh, there's not a lot like that's must-see right here. And I was surprised the Finn Balor-Thatcher match started as someone who hasn't been following because these NXT takeovers usually start off mm-hmm. with banger tag team matches. And I always say like, if I was to like try to get someone into wrestling, who's never watched it, I would show them a takeover tag team match that opens the show. One of those with, with Orkin, uh, Oni Lorkin and, and Danny Birch or, uh, or, or FTR, or the revival Gargano and Chapa. Th- those, those tag teams when they were just on top and on fire, that was my favorite wrestling was NXT tag team wrestling. And there was no tag team on the show. And it kind of really highlighted just kind of where, where things are. And there's just not a lot uh, there to work with right now. Yeah. The, the only tag team matches on the kickoff show, and I'll, I'll briefly go over that, but, but I've been saying it on the NXT uh, podcast on, on the, I guess the Thursday podcast for a while. Um, the, the tag team division in NXT used to be the greatest anywhere. AEW has definitely taken that reign because they, I mean, it's loaded. AEW's absolutely loaded, but NXT is now not the worst necessarily because SmackDown basically has no one. But I think NXT actually does have the worst tag team division. When you consider Raw, SmackDown, NXT. I mean, Raw doesn't really have one either. And AEW, but Raw at least has teams. They have the Street Profits, Angel, and uh, Andrade. They have the Viking Raiders. They got guys, at least. NXT does not really have teams. And yeah. Yes, one of the greatest matches of all time was DIY. I think I'm getting it right. DIY, AOP, and was the revival the third team, or was it someone I, else? I, I don't. I don't remember if they did a triple threat or not. But but they There's, those yeah. teams together. Yeah, I know how. But to but oh my god! I mean, you're right. Um, maybe they could have started with the North American Championship match, and then done Balor and Thatcher second. I could see that, but it was a strange decision for the opening match. I will disagree in terms of excitement for the card, how loaded or not loaded it was. I thought In Your House was actually a little bit weaker. And overall, I thought In Your House was a worse show. I did think this was a very good show. We'll do our grades in a second. Um, let me let me tackle this kickoff match, which was tag team number one contendership, Brizango defending, or not defending, Brizango beating Legato del Fantasma and then Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. Brizango was the right team to come out on top here as far as they're true faces, and now they're going to go and go up against heel champions in Imperium. Uh, they were also impressive in this match, but Legato Del Fantasma stole the show once again. Raul Mendoza doing that climbing, spinning sideways splash. I don't even know how to describe it. And then they did the Spanish Fly 450 combo. This group is incredible. There is such a high ceiling for Santos Escobar 
Jokin Wild, and Raul Mendoza. You guys know I'm huge fans of them. This ended up being a pretty decent kickoff show match, but yes, it continues to speak to what I've been saying previously, that the tag team picture in NXT is really in a tough spot. Now that the Performance Center talent is getting back into the PC, maybe they can develop some more tag teams, get them on the show, and figure out a way to develop this division again. But right now, it really is an issue. As far as NXT TakeOver as a whole, Chris, what do you think from a letter grade perspective you would give this? I give it a C plus. There was, I mean, there wasn't, I have to say this though, NXT more than any other American wrestling promotion, the the fans are such a big part of it. To, to, to watch takeovers, I guess two takeovers now at least, that don't have fans, it really takes away from it because those takeovers that do have fans are among the most just fun things to watch in pro wrestling. And, and I, don't, I don't think anybody has been as noticeably hurt by not having fans comp- as the NXT takeovers. Maybe not the weekly shows, but the takeovers them- themselves without the fans, without those crowds that love that product so much. I think it really has hurt it. I, I think that's added another factor into why I was kind of just mad on this. So I give it a C plus, but again, I'm somebody who's not didn't know much coming into this. So take that with a grain of salt. I think WWE was hurt most by change of venue because the performance center is such a downgrade from arenas. I thought NXT, I believe NXT is most hurt by not having fans, not just takeovers, the weekly shows, primarily because even though AEW had to change venues and largely didn't have fans, although there will be fans back next week, which is something we will definitely talk about. Um, the Daily's place from an atmospheric standpoint, from a volume standpoint, the way they mic'd the wrestlers that were there, got them involved. It, it was a drop off, but it wasn't as drastic. Whereas again, WWE from an atmospheric standpoint, NXT from a crowd standpoint, you're right. It does affect them the, the most. Uh, I think you're being too harsh though with the grade. Uh, Takeover in your house, I did feel was a letdown. Takeover 30 was largely successful. You know, if I think about how I graded these matches, man, Balor and Thatcher gets a really good grade. North American Championship gets a great one. The women's match was really good. Adam Cole, Pat McAfee was a stunner. May have actually ended up being match of the night or maybe number two match of the night with the North American Championship. And while the main event, I disagreed with the booking, thought it was a little bit slow, my expectations weren't very high for it. So I went A- minus on SummerSlam. And I'm going to give this a flat B. You know, a lot of takeovers actually are A plus, A minus, A, B plus. So B is really only makes this a top 20 of 30 takeovers of all time. It's not actually a a huge grade, but I definitely thought it was above average for a a pay-per-view. I thought it was one of the best overall shows of the year. I did not expect SummerSlam to blow it out of the water the way it did. SummerSlam was a damn good show. And I think, especially when you compare them head to head, SummerSlam getting an A minus, WWE as the main roster product really stepped up in a major way. So really good weekend of wrestling, a lot of excitement. We're going to do this again in a couple days. I mean, on Tuesday, we are back. Getting over is back two days from now less because it's now past 1 a.m. on the East Coast as we wrap up this taping. Uh, But we will be back Tuesday. And what are we going to talk about on Tuesday? Interesting Question, Adam, let me answer it for you. Well, we are going to break down everything that happened on SmackDown that we did not talk about on this show, including the Intercontinental Championship, including news 
about Renee Young leaving WWE. We're also going to break down everything that happens on Raw. And we're going to talk AEW Dynamite, which aired Saturday almost head-to-head with TakeOver. So we are going to have a very rare, very strange WWE slash AEW episode of this podcast on Tuesday. We are then coming back on Friday talking NXT and AEW Dynamite. AEW is going to air on Thursday this week. And then, strange as it is, we'll be back Saturday with a WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. Why Saturday? Because SmackDown is freaking Friday when it should still be on Tuesday. And we're going to have to figure out how to preview a pay-per-view when we only have one week to do it. So we'll have an Ultimate Preview early, very early Saturday morning, maybe even Friday night for Payback. And we will be back one week from tonight with WWE Payback Instant Analysis. Yes, that means four shows next week. You can follow them all by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow Chris personally at Chris Vanini. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. But please follow Getting Overcast. And now that you're done listening to this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Every single rating and review helps us. It pushes us up in the ratings, gets us more listeners. Very, very important. It has been a long show. We just gave you instant analysis of WWE SummerSlam, kind of instant analysis, NXT TakeOver 30. Randy Savage, he's already sleeping. Chris is saying goodbye. I'm saying goodbye for him. I only got three words left for you. Bye for now.